Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Masters of the Cinematic Universe. I'm Joe O'Rourke and with me as always are my fellow co-host Eric. Get in the Pabone Zone Pabone and Mr. Doug No Relation Christ. Howdy everyone. Hey guys, how y'all doing today? Yeah, things are cool. You know. Things are good? Yeah. Anything, anything new new going on in your world? Uh, no, a lot of the same. Th- this thing takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole day watching movies, you know? But, I, but, nah, but I cool. mean, I couldn't think of a better way to spend a whole day, honestly. No, I agree. It's it's definitely not work. I had a good time. I really did. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been a quiet week, building some pedals and watching movies, you know? Like you said, that's, that's you know, we, we could have worse days and worse weeks, so. Not definitely. Yeah. What kind of pedals are we working on, boys? Well, for me, it's just the fat guy, little coat. That's all I got right now. <laughs> I have to expand my horizons, That's but I uh, I don't have time because I'm I have to keep making them, which is a good thing. So, yeah. Doug, Doug is going on the uh, ten thousand hour principle where he becomes like the master of one. Yes, it's better to be. Yeah, I agree, man. You man, and I'm exactly. going the like Aziz and Zari route where I'm the master of none. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's uh, not which, true, Joe. Your pedals are awesome, man. I oh, have yeah. one. Yeah. I, can, I can speak oh, from experience. You yeah. almost had another one this week, but we just couldn't make the time work up to meet up. But <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get we'll, it. Well, I got it. I got it with me in my truck. So the next time I see you, it's it's getting handed off to you. It's going nice. to be to just surprise me. Oh, uh, that's cool. Is yeah. that the pedal that with art. the custom art by yeah by uh, that one guy? Yeah, this, by that the guy, guy who did the art on that is this fucking great, man. That that art just blows me away every time yeah. I've seen it. It's just, yeah. yeah, I wish I wish I could remember who that was. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. Some dude. Hey, Eric, are you working on any art? <laughs> oh God. So, yeah, I'm up to my eyeballs in in commissions, which is like you know, like Doug said, it's a good problem to have, right? So, um, yep. I, I, the funny thing is, I I busted my wrist uh, skateboarding. So it happens to be my drawing wrist as well, oh, which is a awesome. kind of shitty situation to be in. So, so busting uh, didn't make you feel good. In this case, <laughs> busting made me feel like a dumb old fat dad, <laughs> <laughs> which I deserved. I deserved. We've all been there. At least you did it doing something cool. It wasn't like me who fucking like I can walk through a yard and just twist my ankle and then be out of commission for like a week. Oh, Joe, too, I have huh? footage of this, and it did not look cool. I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That's the worst. Do. We'll put it in the uh, the Facebook group, which we do have a Facebook group. If you search yes. Masters of the Cinematic Universe on Facebook, and you can join the group. You can give us movie suggestions, give us your own reviews, your own ratings, and uh, a whole lot of fun. And you just yeah. you know interact with us in any way you feel fit. People are already getting involved after the that. first episode, so that was very, very cool. So we want to yep. keep it going. Definitely join in. Oh, yeah. Well, today's episode is going to feature a film that I picked because I love it. Loved it my entire life. And that film is Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I'm just kidding. That I thought film... you were going for the other movie um, that came out the same day, The Gremlins. Whoa. Was that the right? same day? Exactly same day they got released. Oh, that's amazing. That's that's worth revisiting at some point in the future. Gremlins, or at yeah. least Gremlins Two, the new batch. Oh my <laughs> no, God. I'd rather go the regular first Gremlins. Nothing wrong against Hogan Gremlins cameo too. alone. I mean, oh no, you're all right. But uh, no, today we are going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite movies, Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. How excited are you? 
I'm thrilled. I'm pretty, Are you kidding me? Excited. <laughs> Can we just skip to my favorite scene? No, no, we'll save. No, we gotta save. <laughs> we gotta save we all know it's coming. We oh, all yeah, know it's coming. You know it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably right, easy so for we... a lot of people to figure out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you know us, you know, and at this point, I hope you do. You'll know what scene we're excited about getting to. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like the reverse uh, pottery scene from the movie Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay. I I grant you that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's dive right into it. Ghostbusters. We open with the iconic New York Public Library, with some big, beautiful lion statues up front, which is foreshadowing some creatures we're gonna see later in the movie. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, we get some uh, iconic music to start as this kind of old mousy librarian makes her way into the bottom of the building and we get our first sense of what the movie's going to be about now these uh, when did you guys watch this was it was it today or a few days back I um, watched it today also okay, but yeah. I've also watched it a couple of days ago and I've watched it a hundred other times same yeah was, <laughs> yeah so these these the first thing that jumped out at it, uh, my wife and I when we were watching it was that these special effects these practical effects still hold up absolutely um, you know when they're practical some of the yep. stop motion stuff that happens later on is a little sketchy admittedly the yep. CGI um, wasn't wasn't right for the time it yeah was yeah way. yeah they were trying to do a lot with a little in this movie um, yeah and it was you know they threw thirty million dollars at this movie which at the time was unheard of. Right, um, but they also gave them a, a really small window to get everything done. So. Very short time, exactly. Well, yeah. what's funny is um, the original cut of this movie before Reitman got a hold of it was supposed to be like in the future, where there was like just you know different um, like different Ghostbuster areas around the whole world spread out, and it was going to be more of like a uh, you know a Ghostbusting force where they would go out and then come in. They'd have flying cars and everything. Right. But Reitman said the uh, budget would be closer to three hundred million if that was the case. So we weren't going to do that in eighty-four dollars. <laughs> yeah, in eighty-four yeah. money. Like that'd be much more today. Yeah. I think the best thing that Ivan Reitman did was rein in Dan Aykroyd because yeah. Dan Aykroyd is a legitimate crazy person. Oh yeah. yeah, and his early drafts, like you talked about for this movie, right? Just they're they're uh, they're available to read. I mean, they're not good. Reitman really no. steered the ship in a way that that made it palpable for everybody. Well, he, but there he, was one he brought picture in of Howard Ramis. Yeah, yeah. and Ramis yeah. is the one who polished the script. Yeah, and then decided but, to be in. He wanted to be in it too. There's a still out there that exists of Chevy Chase um, vomiting all over the Ghostbusters, <laughs> a spirit out of him. <laughs> I will try to find it and put it in the group, but I did see that in my research. Oh, that's because cool. because they were talking about how uh, Chevy Chase was going to play. Um. Uh, he was for Egon at, at the beginning. I think he was one yes, of the people they had I interviewed so. or not interviewed, auditioned for that. But he turned it down because he didn't like how dark the script was. Right. Yeah. And right. you know, funnily enough, if you read the comic books by IDW that continue on the Ghostbusters uh, film story, Chevy Chase is on a rival Ghostbuster team, oh, a different hysterical. company that's kind of like trying to steal the. Uh, the IP of the Ghostbusters, so I didn't it's know pretty. That. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, now, it's pretty clever. We should probably actually before we even get started on this, talk about the name, the Ghostbuster or Ghostbusters, because that wasn't originally going to be the original name of this movie. Right. Yeah. That is correct. Um, the original name they came up with was Ghost Smashers, which 
does not sound that great. Yeah, that, that that just falls way flat. But you know, yeah. smashing makes me feel good too. It does. <laughs> I can I can I can occur or concur with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they originally then they went switched to the Ghostbusters three separate words. Yeah. But there was another production um, from like I want to say it was like a British company that that had made this like. Uh, like early TV show way back in the day called yeah, the I think same you're correct. name. Yeah. So the only way they were able to get it was to get rid of the word the and then change it to just Ghostbusters one all word. one word. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. and even after this film was released when they made the animated series the real Ghostbusters there yeah. was another animation house that owned the rights to the title Ghostbusters and it was like it's like a gorilla and it was like, like yeah, it was. The, I think it was like Lightman yeah. or something was the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a super weird cartoon. I remember it from from childhood, and that was the reason they added the real to the title of Ghostbusters because they didn't want to confuse yeah. it too. Right. So right. yeah, there's there's all kinds of weird infighting with this movie. Yep. But we'll yep. jump back in. So we're in the library. You got these great practical special effects. You got uh, books floating off shelves. You've got the. Uh, the cards flying out of the, yeah, uh, the card case. catalog was great. Yeah, yeah, they actually had um, stunt workers behind the card catalog throwing them out. Yeah, oh, they, that's they amazing. Had, they used fans or, or maybe just blowers, and then they had uh, copper pipe underneath it to have them fly up in the air. It was cool. I love stuff like that, man. Yeah, yeah, you, and it translates so well. You watch this now, like I said, and we were looking at it like, man, this yep. looks good. This looks really good. And I know we want to jump in, but real real quickly, I think the gentleman's name was Tom Rain. He was tasked with creating this stuff, doing the practical effects, making the proton packs and such. He did so much for the movie, but they got his name wrong in the credits <laughs> and gave him something like Hardware Master or something, some strange Aww. title. He was so shortchanged. I it's not even that I think he complained about it or anything, but it was just unfortunate because he, he was such a large part of the film and the success of the film, and he, he just got he got screwed left and right. So He got called the hardware master? Something like uh, that. I'm, 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 look, I'm, I'm trying to look it up. Of course, I have it written down, but God knows where in my notes it is, so you can continue <laughs> and maybe I'll find it. <laughs> yeah, that's how it always works. I, I write like a million things down, and then I can't figure out where the heck they are. And I'm like, well, I'll highlight them, but then I highlight everything. It just defeats the purpose. Yes, well, exactly. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll get better at it. I admit it. I will. <laughs> I, I probably won't. You know, honestly, my, <laughs> my, my, my notes for this movie are just quotes. Because every other line, I was like, oh, my God, I love that so much. Um, for instance, well, we'll get there. So yeah, yeah. She, she encounters a ghost, the librarian. You don't see it yet. But you get this cool effect of the wind blowing her her hair back and the in the lights, and you get the uh, the title card, the Ghostbusters card. So that's our first scene. That's our introduction to the movie. You know you're in for a fun ride. Oh yeah. You get your yep. theme song, which we're gonna discuss uh, in some we, detail. We'll save it for the montage because that's okay. when you really get it. Okay. Now we find ourselves at uh, Columbia University, where Dr. Peter Venkman is conducting an experiment which is the creepiest rabiest oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful there's there's a real there's a real problem with Dr. Peter Venkman in this movie we'll get into that um oh yeah by and large he's the hero of the film you know he's he's it 
it's an interesting choice they made. But then again, it was a different time. And yes. and when this movie came out, this was 84. I was born in 85. So I got this film by proxy just just uh, on the basis of its popularity Like as I was growing up. Yep. A lot of this stuff just flew right over my head. A lot. Oh, yeah. And it was meant to be that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I know a scene that flew over my head. <laughs> uh, uh, well, we'll all right, there. all right. He, uh, whoa, whoa, he's uh, off the throttle, that big boy. We'll oh, get that. So waiting pump for the it. brakes, pump the brakes. Yeah. Um, well, but originally, he, they, they were going to write something else on his door that had to do with him being like a sexual deviant or something. Right. I was just going to say that, yeah. But, yep. Bankman yeah, burning hell. <laughs> yeah. Bankman burning hell. He is a bit of a, a creepy man. Yeah. He really is in this movie. Oh yeah, he's a, there's some. He's... There's some. Uh, when we when we get to, I'd say close to the three quarter mark of this movie, there's a scene that causes a lot of debate in the film community. We'll we'll get into it, but yep. it has to do with why he has what he has when he has it. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know already. what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he's doing an experiment, and it's a it's a very funny scene um, where he's testing the. Uh, effects of negative reinforcement on ESP abilities. So he's got a beautiful young college uh, student, and he's got this kind of nerdy dude next to her, and it's all in an attempt to get laid. This Pretty entire much. scene is, yep. is just he's yep. crafted this insidious sort of uh, mousetrap to get laid. And I'll leave it at that. Did you guys have any, did you run into any like weird <laughs> feelings when you were watching this? Well, well, kind of, yeah. You got to remember. I mean, for me, I saw this in a the theater. <laughs> okay, I was, a, I was, a, I was. Yeah, Doug was like forty-five kind of an adult. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was dating my my future wife at the time, so it was. I mean, back then, he was called a player. That's what he was. Yeah, he's a player now. Yeah, it's a it's an absolutely different story, and 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 it can be viewed as uncomfortable. Um, and please understand, in no way am I justifying what you know how he behaved but it was a comedy or it is a comedy and that's how it was looked at back then but yes it's uncomfortable i mean as that scene progresses and even you know we we can get into the details of it but there's the point where he he moves to her side of the table there are caution signs visible (laughs) in two different places in that Um, scene when he's talking to her because they even knew then that he was you know he was a pig there's no question about it yeah it's funny because the cards he uses are called Zener cards, and they only have five symbols on them. Right. A star, a circle, a square, a cross, and a set of wavy lines. At one point, she says an infinity sign or a figure eight yeah, sign. Yeah, figure eight, yeah. Which isn't even something that could possibly be on one of the cards if he tells her how great she is. I know. It's like, can you no, see these? Uh, yeah. I have it in my notes here. Venkman, immediately introduced as an asshole. Yeah. And then exactly. a quote from him when the young man is saying that he doesn't like this. Quote, you only have 75 more to go. I know. So good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when he, he picks the circle, <laughs> he turns around a square. Oh, so close, but definitely wrong. <laughs> What's also funny is that in the original test, it was actually a, um, a test uh, from a Duke psychologist, J.B. Ryan, who used Zener cards. He would take 25 cards, and then there was each possible had five symbols on it. So he would work through the deck to see if people can get him right. And then apparently in history, only one person has ever got all 25 correctly. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. No, that's but interesting. The, the real test was to see how long that um, 
the people would actually subject themselves to like and submit to the authority of him even while he was shocking them. Yep. Okay. All right. mm. That tracks for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Ray Stance, uh, you meet him for the first time as he interrupts uh, Dr. Peter Venkman's attempt at uh, seducing this young girl. <laughs> and he's pumped because uh, Egon has confirmed the presence of a ghost at the New York Public Library. Uh, not pumped is Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like, I'm trying to get laid here or something? <laughs> he jumps up in the air and smacks him on the head. Smacks yeah. him on the head, yeah. Yeah. I well, need a little more time with this subject. <laughs> yeah. An hour, What's hour funny, and a half, think, maybe. What's funny, though, is um, he, he um, Bill Murray was not originally supposed to be Venkman. It was supposed no. to be John Belushi. Yep. And so, then Michael Keaton after him. And then uh, they, they said that Bill Murray didn't learn any of the lines from the movie. He just pretty much improvised the entire thing. Yeah. There's so much improvisation so in this much. movie. So yes. impressive, man. By all we'll of them. Get, Even yeah. Sigourney Weaver, I mean, laid, laid out some great lines or improved on lines that were in the yep. script. You know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one of the uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, Rick Moranis, there's an entire scene that he allegedly improvised all of which was the uh, the party scene where he's introduced yeah. the guest he's yes. talking about is the Brie. Exactly. It goes on for a solid like minute, and it's Nova just Nova Scotia gold. salmon, twenty four ninety five a pound. <laughs> yeah. But I only paid sixteen. <laughs> he works at the at the legal office, and she's on yeah. some kind of aid right now. But it ends in about six months. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, so uh, let's jump to the library where we get our first real ghost busting adventure. Right. Yes. Still as as a skeptic Peter is, but uh, Ray and Egon are, are pumped because they got some promising results from the library uh, after the encounter with the librarian. Now there's another <laughs> there's another scene here where Venkman sort of establishes himself as the king of the assholes, um, and that's when he's interviewing the librarian. <laughs> that is so good. Oh, you skipped the part where he really solidifies this when, like, Venkman's li- or not Venkman, Spangler's listening to, with the stethoscope to the table. Oh, yeah. He just taps something, uh, slams a book man. down, but <laughs> it blows yeah. eardrums out. And then, remember, I stopped you from drilling that hole in your head. It would have worked, worked if you hadn't stopped me. That was ad lib too. <laughs> was that ad libbed? It was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was how Remus ad libbed in that line. Yes. Egon, I think, is as an adult now is my favorite character in the in the film series. Yes, yep. And in Ghostbusters two, I remember there was a line where he's doing an experiment where he's got a kid like behind glass and he's playing with toys and he brings a puppy in, and <laughs> they cap the scene with, "Now take the puppy away." And I just remember thinking yes. that was the funniest <laughs> thing. Oh, uh, I agree. Now, uh, yeah, Harold Ramis is an understated genius or was I, I yeah a very sad day when he passed because he was one of my favorites from this to stripes to just to every anything that he was in yeah you know just, he, was he was able to just be subtle be subtly mm-hmm. you know com, a subtle comedic genius is the bottom line yeah yeah great director um yeah absolutely writer so he, um, yeah he cast himself because he realized no one else could do that role right Exactly. Yeah, was, That's what he said. Yep. Yep. Yeah, picture perfect, man. Just uh so we we're exploring the library and we get to see some of the goop, some of the ectoplasm. Um just 
another great line that I that I wrote down here in my notes: uh, symmetrical book stacking. And then, yeah. yes, no human being could have stacked books this way. <laughs> stacked books this way. That was yeah. actually um, that, Ivan Reichman's idea. To yeah. stack the books. Yep. Yeah, yep. I mean, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. You get a lot of production quality out of that scene, and it's probably the cheapest thing in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And one of my favorite lines in the entire movie, uh, listen, do you smell something? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know? That sort of encapsulates, like, the entire vibe of the comedy in this movie. And also just the the way um, it was delivered. Yeah. When they walk around the corner and the bookshelf falls behind him, that was an accident. Really? Was it really? Yeah, an extra on the set accidentally knocked it over. That could have been bad. But they just kept playing it so naturally. That's how good they are. That's how good... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was another improvised scene. I can't believe I didn't know that. That's amazing, dude. (laughs) That's incredible. See, I'm learning new things every episode, folks. Yeah, Yeah, that's the whole point is we, you know, each of us have our our little things we knew about it, and then we all know more. Holy moly. That's good stuff. And Eric, you, you, you've already made note that a lot of your notes are just quotes. Well, it's similar for me, but these, the quotes that I've written down all mean something to me because they're quotes that are used regularly in the house, or at least of when course. all the kids are home. You know what I mean? Throughout my children's lives, these, these quotes. But, you know, just taking a step back, um, you know, when he's doing the interview and the, li- the, the librarian guy gets on him and he goes, you know, just back off, man. I'm a scientist. I mean, that's one of the greatest quotes in the movie. Or it's, it's one of the most quotable quotes in the movie, you know? And, you and know, then that book is, stacking, too, is, is just, they, you know. They had to change it because it originally said, fuck off, I'm a scientist. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, honestly, after watching this, and, and I'm very familiar with the movie, but just trying to look at it with fresh eyes. I really wanted to get in that headspace of like, okay, I'm a little kid watching this. Yeah. Does this yeah. land? Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot going on in this movie that as a kid, I'm like, whoa, this would not fly today. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely not. not. But it holds up, though. Oh, even though it's Even though it doesn't fit what we call the norm today, it holds up. That's the, the thing. Like, I want to be able to talk about that with all the movies that we're going to watch is does it hold up? Yeah, because we're going to jump through time in the movies that we review. But, you know, the older movies, does it hold up? And this one, 100 percent. I mean, 100 percent or more. It's as funny now and, you know, as current now as it was then. Yeah, didn't lose a step at all. I kind of had the same feeling when I was watching uh, Bad News Bears. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's like, this is a kid's movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I remember seeing that in the theaters, and I was a kid when that was, you know, when did that come out? 72? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I saw that in a drive-in theater <laughs> when I was young. But, uh, yeah, it, it's important. It's great to, to, to recognize when things hold up and, and, you know, when they don't. So. All right. So, our boys run into the library ghost, the, the lady in purple, if you will. Um, very funny scene where... They get this far and realize they have no idea what to do. And, uh... <laughs> yes. That is so good. The first attempt is Peter introducing himself. She <laughs> shushes them. And he delivers this fantastic line of, uh, the usual stuff isn't working. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so great. Where are you from, originally? <laughs> originally. So, uh, you know, Ray takes charge and... 
they basically just bum rush the ghost until she transforms into a kind of skeleton ghoul and and Get scares her. them out of the building. Yeah. <laughs> get her. Which you get? Which get her? Yeah. And yeah. again, those special effects like that sort of uh, animatronic to me still holds up. You know, they they sped oh, up the film a little bit yep. to give it like this sort of otherworldly mm-hmm. effect, but yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great like it's, specifically that scene when the boys react they react in a very cartoon like manner yeah which helps just helps accept what's going on for for the viewer you know what i mean like you can look at that special effect you know back in the day again I, i talked about this previously it was a little different you just suspended disbelief and didn't even think about it but even now just the way they reacted you know in that three stooges almost cartoon way just lended itself perfectly to that level of CG, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it was very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly, you know? Yeah, they they were one step short of legs moving and not going anywhere. You know what I mean? But it it worked perfectly for the movie and for that scene. So writing this high of having encountered a ghost, they get back to the school only to find out that they're getting canned. Um, Yes. So... They have to come up with uh, a new plan, and luckily, you know, because of the readings that they took from the library, they theorized that they have enough uh, information now that they could theoretically capture one of these ghosts. And it's important to note that when Egon says that, okay, Peter immediately recognizes the money-making potential. Oh, yes. It's instant. Before they even talk about it, you see it in his face that he knows what they can do with this because that's what he's about. It goes back to that player classification. He's a player. He heard that and said, all right, this is where we're doing what we're doing. Just a a hustler, yeah. Yep. What does he say? The the franchise rights alone can make (laughs) rich beyond our wildest dreams. (laughs) Exactly. Which, uh, you know, like life imitating art, it kind of did, man. Like oh, yeah. The, yeah. Those guys are set. <laughs> yeah. So they decide, even though, you know, they're, they're flying by the seat of their pants, they're just going to do it and start their own business. Um, so really, this is a film about entrepreneurship. At its, exactly. <laughs> at it, its really, core. it really is. And, and his Peter's speech is just priceless. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> Where are we going to get that kind of money? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like, just he's sipping that 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 bottle. <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't know. Cut to the scene of them leaving the uh, yes. the bank. Yeah, and poor Ray. <laughs> Looks on his face. Everybody like, has three it. mortgages these days. Yeah, <laughs> and, and this is a house in New York City, so it's got to be, you know, worth something. Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Although I don't know if New York in the eighties is what New York today is worth. That's true, what? but I, I don't know if the house was in the city. And the only reason I say this is because now we're jumping ahead to Ghostbusters 2, which we're not talking about, but uh, Ray mentions a farm. That's and true. It's true. There's a new Ghostbusters movie on the on the horizon that got pushed back yeah. that seems to take place on a farm That's next true. to a, a mine called Shandor Mines. Yep. So I think they're trying to tie everything back together. Okay. Fair enough. All right, that makes sense. Yep. Although the real estate they do buy seems like it would be pretty pricey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a fire station in Tribeca? What's that worth, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> You're Mr. Ballpark. New York. 
I know. Ballpark. Well, that that's still an active fire station, so you can't. That's true. It. Yep. Now, Doug, have you have you been there before? I have walked by it. Yes. Okay. I've been there yeah. before. I've been there yeah. twice. Yep. And uh, yeah, you can actually buy T-shirts from that fire company that have the ghost on the crest. Yeah, it's just kind of neat. They've well, got the uh, the sign, the the prop sign from the movie in the firehouse. Oh, nice. They were, they were able to keep it. I mean, it was only exterior to, uh, shots that were done there, but um, they were able to keep a lot of the props they used for the exterior shots. We need to get so popular with the show that we can make enough money to travel to every one of the movie locations for every oh, show we do. let's do it. I'm up Ooh, for that. That would be I'm cool. I'm up for that. Yeah. yeah. And then do a live show from each uh, from each of those locations. Yeah. Oh, um, and real quick, something I noticed that could just be me, but the bank scene, okay, when they're talking about it and they're trying to calm Ray down, Egon's Egon's way of trying to calm him down is talking about the interest, and it's it's almost like he's C three PO. We can't help but state just the facts. That's you a know? great comparison. <laughs> and, oh my god, yeah, he is. It's the just his nature. It's just his nature, you know. And he he thinks there's nothing wrong with just saying the interest alone is going to cost ninety thousand dollars in the first three years. You know, <laughs> yeah. And you see Ray deflate even more, but it doesn't even uh, doesn't phase Egon one bit. That is it. I, I can't believe I never crossed those uh, or, or never made that connection. But yeah, yeah. 100%. Yep. All right. So next we are introduced to the lovely Dana Barrett. Who... Oh, we, got, we missed the whole the whole buying the firehouse scene. Oh, right. right. Yeah, yeah. That's you're absolutely next. right. What yeah. am I doing? I'm I mentioned my notes, it, but we didn't talk about it. <laughs> that's true. They're trying to lowball this lady. And, <laughs> so and then he comes sliding down the pole. Guys. <laughs> yeah, I know. You gotta try this poll. That yep. was a great scene, just because there was a lot of good acting in it, and just their oh, faces absolutely. when Ray is going yep. on about, "Hey, I think we should sleep here tonight." You know, tonight. Yeah. try it out. Try it like, out. Just, just watching that. Bill Murray's face and watching Harold Ramis's face. And then like, again, oh, Egon, fuck. this building should be condemned. <laughs> but the, the neighborhood like, is like a demilitarized zone. The real estate lady is like a bitch because because yeah, he's like, I guess we'll she take knew. it. She goes, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> she knew. Uh, is is that part of New York that bad? No, that's the thing. It's not. It's it's, it's actually very nice. nice. It's always it's say, like it's not even like it was bad and it got nice. It was always nice. It's just I don't it's downtown. I don't know New York that well. Yeah, this is downtown. I. Don't I, uh, I should know what neighborhood it's in? It's Tribeca, Could be Soho, Tribeca. It's in Tribeca. Yeah, so it's up. always been it's always been good. You know, even when it was bad, it wasn't nearly the worst. Um, I mean, that's where De Niro lives. I mean, he lives oh, there okay. now. So, yeah, yeah. I used to when I lived in Jersey, um, you used to have a lot of accounts over in the city. So you'd cross the bridge, get into kind of you know, you're trying to avoid like Broadway and like all those you know major. Uh, like right. Times Square areas, and I remember driving by that firehouse a couple of times, not really knowing that uh, I was where I was, uh, and I'd see it out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> like I'm here. Yeah, yeah. it's almost awesome. like a pilgrimage, you know. Like, yep. I mean, it's way down. It's way down in Lower Manhattan. It's you know, it's close to the World Trade Center. So yeah, it was always you know, it was always okay. It was never not you know a bad you know it was never a bad neighborhood. Yeah. Speaking of other New York property that's worth a bit, when we go to her apartment, 55 Central Parkway or Central Park Central West. Central Park West, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, she Park has a West. penthouse in that building. That's got to be expensive. Uh, yeah. 
Listen, man, she's a she's a starving musician. Of course, she has the uh, penthouse <laughs> well, apartment at fifty five no, Central it, Park West. Believe it or not, a, a just average, and I use the the word loosely, um, musician that performs with like the Boston Symphony or the New York Symphony Orchestra makes over a hundred k a year. Whoa! Like Full time. Yeah, I, I fucked right up. Now, I should have stayed make, with the band. Yeah, they make over a hundred k a year, and then it goes up. So. Even back then, she was doing all right for herself. I mean, she's playing at, at Lincoln Center. She's doing all right for herself. Oh, man. Yeah. I was totally unfair then. I gave this the <laughs> friend's treatment. I'm like, they can't afford this goddamn apartment. Yeah. I gave it the damn uh, big daddy treatment. <laughs> Where Adam Taylor has this amazing loft. Yeah. Look, look at this little this exposed brick. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> so, Dana Barrett, she's... Uh, Grocery shopping in a cab, which uh, that also kind of struck me as weird because uh, even when you live in a big city, you tend to just like get one of those weird metal carts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but she's grocery yeah, but shopping no grocery in a cab. There's no grocery stores up there. Which, you know, that's that's just not economical. Uh, goes upstairs to her place, and you are introduced to her neighbor, Louis Tully, played <laughs> by. Uh, Canadian actor Rick Moranis, who originally offered to John Candy, yes, originally yeah. offered to Jet, which I cannot imagine, especially no. well, it the was way totally they describe different. his his yeah. take like, is like a German. He's way too know, cool, right? like to play this role. Also, yeah, yeah, it fits Rick Moranis's character as a person. Yeah, he was um, perfect in this in this role. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, funny because. Come- uh, he locks himself out of his apartment three separate times. I know. It's yet so he's great. the key master. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate irony. I know. Yep. I know. Now, when yeah. he comes out of the high water, the, the tracksuit, but he's wearing high waters. You know, oh, yes. Like, it's flawless. It's perfect. He invites her in for mineral water. Oh, mineral water. I, just, I love that character so much. I got plenty of low sodium mineral water in the fridge. <laughs> And I love the gag that, like, no matter how quiet she is, he can hear her. Know, like, even yeah. in the, when the, the party's party going scene. on. I know. She's tiptoeing by. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, Lewis invites Dana to his party, of course, and then proceeds to tell her that um, her TV was on while she was gone. Right. The landlord was complaining about it. So, you know, in an, in an attempt to, like, help her out, he turned on his TV real loud, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she she finds this strange, obviously, and and it's a precursor to that. There's some weird things going on in this in this woman's apartment. So she gets inside, puts her groceries down, and we get a nice little visual treat, which is a bag of Stay Puffed marshmallows. Oh yeah, yep. Next to uh, her her eggs, which I don't. This is also another weird sticking point for me. This is an odd combination of items to just yeah. like have to buy. Yeah, I know. Like I need I eggs, I need marshmallows. Like maybe she was making a pie, like a marshmallow pie. <laughs> a marshmallow well, I mean pie. later later in the film when Peter <laughs> or goes back the to check out the apartment, um, he references all the junk food. So I mean, that's she true. does have odd odd purchasing habits for when, you know. When she herself. comes in though, her TV is on. Do you know what's what it's playing? Oh yeah, it's the ad. It's the Ghostbusters commercial. We're ready to believe you. Yeah. yeah. And that ad ran as a preview for the movie on TV yep. before the movie was released. They had an 800 number, and yours truly called that quite a few times. Yeah, they said <laughs> it would get 1,000 calls an hour for six weeks. Six oh weeks, yeah. And I was one of those people who called it multiple times. 
That's now, when awesome. you called it, what did you get? Was it was it the boy actual... the boys talking? It was almost an it was like sort of a semi advertisement by the three boys just telling us, you know, about you know, getting people hyped up for the movie. You oh, know, that's so cool. Yeah, it was it was neat. It was. That's almost as cool as the uh, the Freddy Krueger hotline. Yes. <laughs> did you ever do that? Yeah. It's oh, you know what? It's not as cool as though. Fartagram.com, which doesn't right. exist anymore. Right. Fartagram.com. <laughs> that was my favorite <laughs> bit ever. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. We'll talk about yes. that somewhere else. We'll get to Fartagram one of these days. Uh, I got my grandpa with it. <laughs> Did right. you really? Yeah, I yeah my you grandpa told, when, you told when that story. Yeah. He ended up he ended up passing away from cancer. But uh that's part of why it was so funny, because I got him with the one with the the Mitch from the White Swallow. Yes. And I called yes. it from my dad's phone number. So he's sitting there and the guy's going off, hey there, big boy. And then my grandpa starts yelling, now listen here, I was a damn veteran and I have cancer. Oh, no. <laughs> I wish I still had the recording of it. But <laughs> oh, Doug, you know what Fartogram is? No, I, I so missed that whole thing. It was an online service where you could put in somebody's phone number for it to call. And then you can put whose phone number it was coming from. Oh, and it had these pre-recorded things. Like, there was a bunch of them, and they were pre-recorded, and they would always goat the person into getting pissed off. Of course. And then it would end with a, just, like, a lengthy fart sound effect. <laughs> yep. But the best part was, while it was doing it, since you're sitting at your computer, you could see how long it lasts. So, if it calls and then instantly ends, you know you didn't get somebody. But if it keeps going and you're sitting there watching the thing... 30 seconds, 45 seconds, oh, a minute. Wow. You know that it's it's getting them. And then what it would do is as soon as it hung up, it would email you the recording. Holy shit. Okay. So you could like have the recording, then you could show it to people later like, hey, guess what I got? Did you have to pay for this? No, it was free. It was, wow. free. It was, free. It was the best <laughs> thing ever. Um, <laughs> on another podcast that me and Erica frequently listened to, that was an ongoing thing that... <laughs> That one of the hosts would get his mother with every other day. Oh, God. Uh, Those were good times. Good times. Yeah, All I, right, so back to Dana's apartment. We get one of the coolest special effects in the whole movie, which is eggs cooking themselves. Yes. Oh, yeah. Do any of you guys know how this was accomplished? I was hoping you would tell us, because yeah, I'm not I sure. Do not. I do not either. In all ah. of the research that I did for this movie, this was the <laughs> one area where I was like, you know, maybe it would be better to leave the mystery there. Yeah. Because it's just, I mean, it's obviously heated in some way, you know, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I was wondering if you knew, because I, I didn't know that one. But it looks so damn good. It really does. I mean, it, there's, it shows no cracks at all. No pun intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, I, I ruined this for myself, but in Jurassic Park, the scene with the glass of water with the T-Rex foot, footsteps. Yeah. It was so hard to accomplish visually that they had to take a guitar string and string it up under the dash, like the shell of the dash of this car, and pluck it in order to make that happen. I'm sort of glad that I don't know the mechanics of this because... Well, do you want to know? Because I found it. (laughs) Damn it. I just said I didn't, but now I do. All right. God! All right, here we go. So it says, during filming, air was injected into the egg, which caused the eggshells to split along scored pathways. Uh, Thus, the yolk would pop out onto the countertop, which was heated from beneath with two propane burners. Okay. Well, there you go. More practical effects. 
You yep. know? Well, are you tell me Santa Claus isn't real, Doug? Sorry. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm... Tim Allen is going to be in a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yes. Exactly. No, and to, <laughs> to reference back, it was Stephen Dane who did all of these special effects. Okay. So his name in the credits, because his name, his real name is Stephen or Stefan, okay? So his name was listed as Stephen with a V. And he was listed as hardware consultant. That hardware was oh, consultant. not a consultant. Consult, not even master or whatever. <laughs> hardware consultant. God and that was God. it. Yeah. This, so. this man engineered a piece of my childhood that exactly. until this moment I did not understand how it was done. Yes. And he's the consultant. That's, he, that's a crime. Yeah, it was. It definitely was. But yeah, that's how they did it. So that's pretty interesting. It's very, because it's so simplistic. Yet genius. Yeah. That's the thing, you know. Yeah, which yeah. is a lot of what happened in this movie is that it was simply done, and it was genius. So, yep. Well, here's another simply done scene. Dana hears a noise from her refrigerator, and when she opens it, she sees Pink Floyd's "The Wall" and, <laughs> and a big giant demon dog that says the name Zool. Yep. Oh, yep. Uh, which is you know just just fantastic there's a big kind of glowy pyramid thing in the background and uh you know it it looks like it looks like the cover of like a yeah like a rush yes yeah super cool super cool visuals now i know how this one was done sigourney weaver opened a fridge and it was green inside Yep. No, this was 1984 it was blue inside that's true it was blue blue screen back then all right, so back at the firehouse, uh, Venkman overseeing the hanging of a Ghostbuster sign. It's kind of a bootleg sign. Like, it's not yeah. real professional yet. It's like they got it from Vistaprint with their 500 free gift card, or 500 free business cards. Ah, yes. <laughs> the free business cards. Yes. You guys ever I, do the free Vistaprint of business cards? Everybody of course is. I did. Who, who doesn't do that? What does that look like? I'm made out of money? But it's like, it's too many business cards. I appreciate no, it's that a it's lot. free. There's no question. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm, I made up with business cards from a business that I'm no longer involved with. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then they just go in a box, which is like a graveyard of failed <laughs> failures. Yes. Yeah, graveyard of failures. <laughs> so, Vic uh, Minto overseeing the sign, and all of a sudden, this big black car pulls up, to which he exclaims, "He can't park that here." <laughs> Turns out, it's his buddy Ray with the car which is a 1959 Cadillac Miller Meteor ambulance slash hers. Uh, it's the coolest ugly car in cinema. To me, at least. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And especially when it's fully restored. I mean, there's something so iconic about the white paint and the and the sirens. Now, we, we, um, we know from previous drafts of this movie that that was not the original concept for the car. It was supposed to be the black car with the purple and the green lights um but i'm so happy they went this direction because it's it it has that sort of like nypd yeah it just looks more like an official Mm -hmm. vehicle like the black looked cool but it didn't look like a like something that would be driven by somebody in an authority position right right yeah um and also it, it shows up a lot better on camera at night that is true hard to film a black car at night yep and that uh, is the only car that they had. <laughs> there were no duplicates. They couldn't afford it. So, oh, I thought they had two like of a, them. Like a, nope. 
Nope, they had one, and it actually broke down. You know, <laughs> scene later in the movie, it broke down. That's but they, fantastic. They had already wrapped production and uh, didn't care about it. <laughs> but yes. So oh, a, as a result of this being the car of the movie, this has become a very desirable year for this car. And, uh, you know, I've toyed with the idea of, of looking for this and, and restoring it and doing the whole thing because I'm, I'm that much of a child. Um, but it's just, I mean, they're so expensive and they're, they're super rare. They're hard to find in good shape. Um, so it's kind of a pipe dream. You end up making it out of like a Dodge Magnum or something because it's, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, I, uh, <laughs> I just hope you put some Buick holes on the fender. You have uh, yeah. to, yeah. Do you know what Buick holes are? Yeah, yeah. And, and It's like, in Buicks, they come standard with like little holes that people that are in the fender, like little fender vents, but then people get the aftermarket ones and put them on everything, especially Dodge Chargers <laughs> Magnums for some reason. Yeah, you just got to glue them on, and then, you know, you put like the retro wheels on it, and you're, you're good to go. I, yeah. um, Joe, just real quick, that sounds like a Florida thing, because I don't see that up here. <laughs> we used to play a, uh, a, a, well, it's certain parts of Florida. Okay. <laughs> Definitely, they they are natural to certain habitats, I'll put it that way. All right, okay, <laughs> but leave it at that, we get it. We used to play a game, like, you know how people would play Punch Buggy back in the day? Oh, yeah. We'd play Buicles, and you had to call out the car <laughs> that has Buicles on it. But you if you accidentally called an actual Buick that came with Buicles, then you got punched. <laughs> oh, that's the okay. twist. Yeah, you had to know what car they were naturally occurring on and which ones were added aftermarket. I will say this about Florida because uh, I was driving a 79 El Camino in Orlando. <laughs> in Orlando, it was fine, but if I drove two hours or three hours south of Orlando, every time I got uh, to a red light, the person next to me would ask me if I would sell my car to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That, that like, is a Florida phenomenon. I have to have yeah. that happen to me in my old 67 Mercury. I believe it, man. Sorry, I was sipping a, a delicious <laughs> double IPA, and I almost choked oh. on it. Um, <clears throat> so, inside the firehouse, we meet the first uh, new employee of the Ghostbusters, Janine Melmets, the secretary. And Janine does a little flirting with Egon, which is cute. Uh, Egon is completely oblivious. Oh, yes. Yeah, Egon. He does not pick up what she's putting down. No, and she's putting (laughs) it down hard in that scene. She's really, you know, as an adult watching this movie, he could have, he could have really, and it's funny, like the innuendo with with him under the desk, like when he pops up. Just coming out from under the desk, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Janine, uh, gets out of Egon not only that print is dead which is a funny line <laughs> but that his hobby is collecting uh what is it mold spores and fungus yes which in the new Ghostbusters trailer there's a shot of Egon's dusty old collection of uh, mold fungus and spores so I thought that was I mean for me it brought a tear to my eye because I'm a baby oh 100% yeah <laughs> but I thought that was a cool I'm little way of Paying homage. It is, it's great. And note that it did not deter Janine at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no. She was okay. still all in. She thought it was adorable. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's not. That sounds like something a serial killer would say. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ghostbusters soon after get their first official client, Dana Barrett, because she just saw 
a Rush album in her refrigerator, and <laughs> she wants to know what's going on. So Peter Venkman hops the banister to meet Dana Barrett, which in and of itself was another creepy uh, Peter Venkman thing that I wrote in my notes. Too aggressive. Oh, yeah. And after consulting with the Ghostbusters, and they determine she's telling the truth, they've got her hooked up to the monitors, they decide they're going to take the case. So they split up their duties. Uh, Egon is going to research the name Zool. Uh, Ray is going to research the building uh, that she lives in, Central Park West. And Vankman is going to go back to her apartment to check her out. I mean, <laughs> er, check out her apartment. Yeah. Check out her apartment. So we get uh, Venkman sort of, you know, puffing his chest out and pretending that he knows what he's doing in Dana's apartment. He's got this kind of sniffer tool that he's squeezing and aiming, and it doesn't really do anything. Yeah, that's a great. natural gas detector. Actually, yeah, it's it it like was. natural gas and stuff. <laughs> is that really what it is? Yeah, that's all it is. It draws in the air, and, it, and, and the unit itself will sniff out uh, natural gas. Or other Man. chemicals. Yeah. I, I am yeah, learning so it's much called new a, information. Uh, United Technologies Baccarat 300 series. There you go. Yes. I did see that. Now, is this something <laughs> I could find on eBay for like a reasonable price? I'm sure you could. Oh, okay. yeah, definitely. Because I have a proton pack, I have a, a PKE meter. I, I would love to have one of these in my collection. <laughs> okay, so he's sniffing around. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Gets the great scene on the on the keys of her piano where he's sort of tinkling the ivories right and, he, and he's telling her they hate this yep <laughs> which if you listen to the soundtrack they use that later in the movie there are there are instances in different scenes where you hear just the piano tinkling and then it'll lead into a little more of the score so yeah and that's actually um a tune that was played in the shining when danny walks into the uh the bedroom and finds jack um sitting on his bed looking real rough yeah yeah now, see that i did not know that's super interesting to me now i wonder if, if that was intentional because it it read to me like a total bill murray like i'm just gonna fuck around with the scenery here yeah but that's su- just coincidental yeah that's yeah. super interesting yeah. so he investigates the uh the apartment says some more creepy things about how it's a shame that nothing happened in her bedroom <laughs> and uh, looks in the fridge and, and finds only junk food um, he takes a turn uh, where he goes from sort of being a, an aggressive pickup artist to a desperate sort of pleading I'm in love with you yeah that kind of hit right. me the wrong way with that one well you know what you know when that happens okay when she says, you know, you don't look, you don't act like a scientist. And, you know, his first response is, yeah, they're usually pretty stiff. <laughs> but then her response, which I read was now, was ad-libbed by, by uh, Sigourney Weaver, was you're more like a game show host. Originally, the line was supposed to be you're more like a used car salesman. But she thought it would be funnier to say game show host. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's at that moment where it turns, where he turns. Oh, so the... Because you see some what looks like genuine hurt in Bill Murray's face. Maybe no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man, you're right, because he didn't know that line was coming. Oh, no. And, but that's where the turn takes place that you're talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, 
I still think he's the player, and I think he's just decided to take a different tack, a different strategy. He's going to play the wounded guy now. No, that yeah. makes, he's falling that makes for sense. it, and you know, it's a movie they have to accelerate things. You know, especially when it comes to falling in love, it has to happen quickly. So I think there might be something there. I think you're you're right, but I also think at that point he's still kind of he's still kind of just trying to change tactics to to see how it works. You know? Yeah, I think there's something to that, and I and I think this might be the first woman he's encountered that's a, a challenge to his right. His you know, equal, yeah, his, his equal, absolutely. So we get back to the firehouse and. We are at the point now where the Ghostbusters are completely broke. Yes. Um, yeah, except for they have money for um, stand-up video games. What I the- know. <laughs> I noticed that in the background. They got three, two video games and a pinball machine. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is, that's a good observation. I didn't even pick up on that. But that yeah. is some, like, boy shit to do. Like, okay, oh, yeah, it's definitely we got like, some liquid. Uh, what, what, what are we doing first? Yeah, the precursor to the man cave. Before yeah. man caves existed. <laughs> So, just in the nick of time, the Ghostbusters get a call, and Janine is excited to let them know that they got one. Yep, that is the fam- one of the famous lines. So, we get some confusion, some excitement, and the Ghostbusters suit up for the first time in the Ecto-1, which was restored remarkably quickly by yes. Ray Stance. Ray Stance, forget being a Ghostbuster, man. You need to open up a... Uh, a body shot, my friend, because that was like <laughs> a three-day resto mod. That's very yeah, impressive. Real. Yes, very impressive. Um, so you see the car for the first time, and the car is treated very much like its own character in the movie. Um, the Ecto One. Apparently, when they screened this for test audiences, it elicited laughter because it's just so yep. ridiculous mm-hmm. with all of the shit coming out of it and on top of it. It was just the reaction that, that uh, Ivan Reitman was looking for. Yeah. Um, and it grew to become this iconic movie vehicle that's up there with, like, the Batmobile, you know, in Absolutely. terms of, and the DeLorean in terms of, like, the kids wanting to own it. Yeah, my, so, my note here is Ecto-1 in all its glory. Mm-hmm. And that summed it up for me, you know. Now, the Ecto-1 may not have been as cool as Joseph's car, which I saw today. <laughs> I don't but know. The Ecto cool. one was pretty, fu- pretty freaking cool, man. It's pretty rad. I feel like um, Rick Moranis at the end. I want to go to the car with everybody else. Yeah, I felt yeah. <laughs> I related yes. to him hard in that exactly. scene. Exactly. Yeah. So the call that the Ghostbusters got was a haunting at the Sedgwick Hotel, um, and the concierge that called them, you know, wanted assurance that things would be handled discreetly. Because this is a very upper crust, you know, lower Manhattan spot. Yes. Which, ironically enough, the interior was the Biltmore in Cal- in uh, California. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Only the exterior was the New York. Yeah. But the uh, interior of the hotel was the Biltmore Hotel. They did a lot of that in that movie. In Los like Angeles, exterior on the corner stuff of Fifth in... and Grand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of exterior stuff in New York and interior stuff in California. Yeah, was it? It was the most cost-effective way to do it. You know. Yeah. So they they roll up on this spot, and uh, for the first time, you see the Ghostbusters decked out in their uniforms, and it and it's it's just so perfect. It's like a mixture between like a like an exterminator and like a I don't even know like a 
they're, they get called cosmonauts. Like, they just look yeah. ridiculous. Yes. So they have their proton packs. These are um, miniature nuclear accelerators yeah. that are strapped to their backs. So they go up to the floor that the disturbance is on. And it's a disturbance that's been going on in this hotel for a long, long time. Um, and if I'm jumping ahead, you know, feel free to stop me. Um, but we get them on the elevator and... Well, yeah, just sorry, real quick, because the interaction with the guy... Yeah. <laughs> ...was hysterical. I'll take the next what, one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are, what are you guys supposed to be? We're exterminators. Someone saw a cockroach up on the 12th floor. That's got to be some cockroach. cockroach. <laughs> Bite your head off, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and exactly, Joe. I'll take the next one. He, now, I don't know if was, he'll take the next one because he was still trying to finish his cigar. And there's I know. It's a giant no smoking. No <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw that, too. He's but, got too yeah. much money to be concerned with the no smoking sign. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that elevator ride they take up is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's, <laughs> yes. it's a quiet departure from everything else. And it's just like nervous energy because they've never done yeah. this before. They never turned on the equipment before. Exactly. And they say so much as like, you know, we've never had a successful test of this equipment. <laughs> and when they switch on uh, race pack, they the way Egon and Bankman just kind of like push themselves against the wall to get away from it because they don't know what's going to happen. And, and Ray is just oblivious to it. He doesn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's just like excited. Yeah. <laughs> so they exit the elevator and like i said nervous energy the first thing they see they unload their uh, proton streams at and it's yes. a maid with the cart yep yep and she now, tries to put on a little toilet paper doing? with windex yeah <laughs> now i went to uh, halloween horror nights last year before the world started melting and they had the halloween uh Horror Nights version of Ghostbusters as a as a haunted house. Ah, uh, that's awesome. And I, it was like being in the movie. They did such a great job. But one of the things that they did was when you turned a corner, you were in the Sedgwick, and it was that scene. The cart was knocked over, and it was oh, on okay. fire. And they piped nice. audio through the speakers like on a loop. And one of the loops was, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. It's so that's great. great. Oh, sorry. We thought you were someone else. <laughs> that that response too. Like, who did you think? Oh, I just uh, yeah. I know. I love it. I know. So well, and then that, I mean, one of my favorite throwaway lines right after that is, "We better split up." Yeah. <laughs> and Bankman goes, "Yeah, we could do more damage that way." <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little throwaway line, but it's so great. So they they split up, and you see. Uh, Slimer, which I don't think they refer to the this goes to Slimer no, in the movie. He's never really. referred to it officially until the uh, the the second one or the animated series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His actual name in production was Onion Head Onion because Head. he was supposed to smell so bad. That's right. Now right. the bad breath from everything he was eating. And then um, he was supposed to be basically like a tribute to John Belushi um, from his character Bluto from uh, True um, Animal House. Now, I, I read this about that, right? So, um, Aykroyd wanted Slimer to be based on Belushi. And I forget the guy's name who sculpted Slimer. He's, he's like a really well-known guy. Um, so, he, he showed him the maquette of Slimer. 
and Aykroyd wasn't exactly pleased with it. He wanted it more Belushi-like. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, there were so many constraints with this movie as far as time. And this guy had his plate so full that he, he basically admitted to, like, I changed nothing but showed the same sculpture to Dan Aykroyd and said I made the changes. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. That's funny. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of like great. what the vibe on production was like. Is like we just yep. don't have enough manpower or time to do everything that everyone wants to do. <laughs> so, uh, so we encounter Slimer. And right off the bat, he's able to escape from uh, Ray. Right. And go through the wall. And in the next scene, uh, Venkman sees him at the end of the hallway and he puts the radio up to his, to his face, talking with Ray. And there's a funny exchange between the two of them yes. where, you know, Venkman's basically saying, like, he can hear you, Ray. Yeah. Ugly um, little spud. And you get your first, yeah, <laughs> ugly little spud. And you get your first real, like, encounter, slime encounter, like, with the ghost. Yeah. And uh, Ray runs to make sure he's okay. When he gets there, he's laying on the ground covered in, in slime. And you yep. get that famous line He slimed me. He slimed me. And, and as far as responses go, that's great! I know. Can you move? Yeah. Can you then, move? <laughs> I know. Peter then, just like, goes, uh, Egon I says to bring so him some. Funky. What's that? E- Egon wants him to save him a sample. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So this whole hot- hotel sequence caps off with with uh, Egon telling them that he went into a ballroom, and it's this big lavish ballroom. They close it up. They clear an area. They're smashing stuff. They're throwing tables, um, basically destroying this room over yeah. the course of the sequence. And you get to see how the Ghostbusters actually trap the ghosts in practice, which is really cool and really original. Basically, the way it yeah. works is you wrangle the ghost with uh, uh, an electronic lasso, for lack of a better term, hold it in the air open a ghost trap and it gets sucked in don't don't cross the the streams (laughs) very important we established that you cannot cross the streams why why? because it (laughs) It would be bad bad. (laughs) that's all you need to know but but it's a clever way to introduce this idea of we're playing with very dangerous equipment and if we do this you know it could be catastrophic that's going to be very important later on so, we wrap up, we catch the ghost, we charge the concierge $5,000 That exchange in total. is so good. <laughs> What's uh, cool is if you watch Egon, he's telling how much to charge oh, to yeah. his fingers. He goes, he, yeah, Peter looks at Egon, and Egon's got four fingers up against his cheek. <laughs> yeah, $4,000. 4, it's like baseball a, signals. Yeah, you know? we've got yeah. a special on proton charging. This week, and and Egon's holding one finger up, and that'll only be one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then the manager, of course, is pissed off. Doesn't want to pay it. He's like, yes. "Well, we can release it back into the room. Just put it back." No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I love that they their business tactics are just to like strong arm him into paying the money. Oh, absolutely. With threats. You know? 
And it's all yeah. on the spot decisions on their part. <laughs> and then we get. Bum, 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 bum. Yes. Yep. First now montage the song. scene. Let's talk yep. about this song for a moment. Because uh, it's, it's oh, one of the no. most iconic pieces of cinema music that I can think of. Come on. It's Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters theme. But Joseph has some information about this song that you may not be aware of. Oh, yeah. So apparently uh, they originally wanted Huey Lewis to write the music for this, but he uh, declined as he was working on another project at the time, uh, another movie that, uh, let's just say it was also another blockbuster big movie uh, similar to, to this. A little film, you know, about time travel. Never so, heard of it. Nope. Yeah, never heard of it. Um, it's something about going back back in time or something. I don't know. Um, but it did have also <laughs> another classic car in that show, too. But Somewhere in time. different story. Yep, somewhere, somewhere in time. That's what it was. <laughs> right. Richard! So, so they ended up uh, going with the the next best option. <laughs> Um, and the song they got, which was an amazing, amazing song, turns out, uh, you know, it was amazing for a reason, and it actually fit exactly what they wanted for this in the first place, because, uh, there was some plagiarism going on by Ray Parker Jr. Yep. Um, and there was a song by Huey Lewis in the News, who they originally wanted called I Want a New Drug. And I'm going to play a little snippet of that for you guys right here. And let me know if you hear any type of uh, similarities whatsoever. So, I mean, you hear that bum 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 yeah. bum bum. The bass line. You also get the that that weird sound. Yeah, sorry. Like, I just don't hear it. I'm, just, yeah. I'm kidding. It's the same well, song. Well, um, it did go to court, <laughs> and yeah. uh, they ended up settling outside of court, which uh, I'm assuming is probably better off for Mr. Parker. Right. 1995, um, they finally settled it. It said there was an undisclosed amount of money that was uh, changed hands. However, later on, Huey Lewis disclosed what that amount of money is, and then he got countersued by Ray yes, Parker. Ray Parker sued him because <laughs> he was supposed to keep his mouth shut. That was because he was supposed to keep his mouth shut about it. So yeah, it's so great. So uh, it ended up move. being a whole bunch of uh, something about nothing. That's so funny, yeah. man. Yeah, it, and it's funny because I. That's another one of those things that stupidly, like I never connected the dots. I'm familiar with both songs, and once someone pointed that out to me, it was like, it was like it smacked between the eyes. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Like, yeah. Not, it's not only similar; it's the goddamn same. Right. Although, although Bustin didn't make Huey Lewis feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Bustin makes everyone feel good. Yeah, All right, Joe. That's, that should be Bankman's theme song. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, exactly. exactly. He's a co-writer on those lyrics, sir. <laughs> yep. So, so while this amazing Ghostbuster song, not the uh, Huey Lewis, but the Ray Parker version's going on, we get the montage. 
Yeah, they they're getting more business. They're getting famous. Yep. They're getting some notoriety in the city. They're Larry King's talking them up. I mean, things are going really yeah, well. Yeah, that was a right. young Larry King. Uh, well, yes. That's exactly that's my note, Joe. Young Larry King. The other thing, so New York callbacks for me uh, was that so the newscaster, the first newscaster that comes on during the montage is Roger Grimsby, who was like a New York staple. I okay. think he was on ABC, so the, the, the Channel 7 News, um, and he was like, you know, the Walter Cronkite of New York at the time. Oh, that's nice. And then a little further along in it, you got Joe Franklin, who was a local late-night talk show host. He had a little show that you only saw in New York and New Jersey, the Joe Franklin show, when he's the guy who asked Ray about Elvis. So uh, Joe Franklin was a real guy, and, and that was the kind of, guest he had all the time so if, if ray was an actual person and ran a business like that that would be the guy that would be on the joe franklin show and then He's, on the radio is um casey Kasem. casey Kasem, exactly whose wife makes an appearance later in the movie oh nice yeah so then, yeah um, it was a lot of definitely a lot of new york callbacks in that montage and it was real cool they they were saying the montage was the first thing they ever recorded too and, and they did a lot of it without permits and uh in the Rockefeller yes. Plaza scene, you see a security guard chasing them, and that was like a real yeah, thing. Yeah, he was trying to catch them. <laughs> they weren't supposed to be there. Exactly. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, the Ghostbusters are getting some steam. So much, in fact, that the three of them, they just can't handle it. it it's becoming like old hat. Janine's now getting calls, and and her reaction to those calls is like something to the effect of like, was it just a torso, or did it have arms and legs? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. So now they're overworked, they're tired, oh, and... Gotta take a nap. Yeah. And well, now so why we are they have... all sleeping in the same bedroom, by the way? Well, it's a firehouse. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a firehouse. They're Fair all enough. bunking in the, in the firehouse. I, I stand, uh, you know... That was Ray's mm-hmm. idea. Corrupted. He wanted, you know, the camaraderie. Yes. You know what yep. I mean? The brotherhood of Ghostbusters, if you will. Now, the brotherhood of the traveling pants. Of the traveling pants. Because <laughs> those pants are about to travel. <laughs> now, these guys, they're they're so overworked and they're so stressed. We're going to enter a scene that we've been excited to talk about for this whole episode. <laughs> this and, is the only reason we're doing Ghostbusters, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Eric might love this movie, but this is the real reason we're doing Ghostbusters. This <laughs> justifies the whole trip. So, w- I've talked a lot about how I watched this film as a child. And... I cannot believe that this scene exists <laughs> yeah. in this movie. But it does. Yep. Clear as day, it does. So, at the end of this montage, they show the Ghostbusters sleeping in the firehouse, and you get... I'm going to describe what happens to you, just as the the listener, okay? Just, just pretending like you've never seen this movie, which I know you have, but just bear with me. You get that dreamy, cliche uh, wave that signifies that you're going from reality to dream world, okay? And a little sound effect. And all of a sudden, you push to Ray, who's still laying in a bed, but a different bed. He's wearing a, like a Napoleon-esque, like, like navy jacket. And he's in what looks like a four-poster captain's bed. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful young woman a ghost floating above ray okay this startles ray as as i'm sure it would startle you listener yeah 
Okay. <laughs> Keep going. Now she vanishes, but reappears over Ray's groin. Okay. Now, keep in mind, still eight years old, okay? I'm sitting Indian style on the floor, eating a bowl of cereal while this is happening. His pants come undone ethereally, and the zipper of his khakis comes down. You see old Ray's tidy whities and then you cut to Ray's face, and he's got an expression that I can only describe to you as pure bliss. I mean, that's such a, that that's his, an O face. That's an O face. Oh yeah. I mean, his it's eyes cross. Oh yeah, face. Yeah. yeah. So, this scene, for no reason at all, just <laughs> just pops up this ghost blowjob scene, or <laughs> as I've termed it, the ghost job. The ghost job. <laughs> It doesn't affect the story at all. There's no connecting threads. This ghost doesn't reappear at a later date and wink at Ray and he, he, <laughs> all shucks. It's just gone and it's never heard from again. Why? I it, this <laughs> question perplexed me for a long time. I did some digging, I did some research, and I found out why it's in the movie. Now, do you guys know why this scene made it into the movie? Not at all. Because no, it's awesome? Well, yeah, exactly. there is that. Okay, so what happened was... Because Bankman was, got to write a scene? Because... <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened was, there was actually an extended sequence that got cut from the movie where Winston and Ray got sent to an old haunted fort. And huh. in the old haunted fort, Ray makes his way to, like, uh, I guess a museum... Uh, representation of a captain's chamber so he tries on the jacket and he's posing in the mirror and he eventually falls asleep in the bed and in that sequence he gets ghost jobbed by the ghost that's haunting the fort right but just because of time and it didn't really like gel with the story there was already too much going on at this point in the movie all of that was cut but they still had all this ghost job footage <laughs> and it felt like a crime not to use any of it because, you know, it was just, it was, it, what else can be said about it? So they had this whole montage, you know, the whole sequence with the song and they're getting popular and they're getting stressed. And somebody came up with the idea. I don't know who, but someone said, hey, remember the ghost job stuff? Why don't we throw that in there as a dream sequence? Not That'd all heroes fun. wear capes. Yeah, it'd be go. fun for the kids. Yeah, or it'll go over their head. Which well, it definitely was was crafted to go over the kid's head. They don't know what's going on. You don't see anything, right? I mean, I remember being aware of it, but not understanding what it meant. Right for, for a but long what's, time. What's funny is it after like it shows him with his eyes. It shows all three of them like in bed doing like weird. Like, yeah, well, he, yeah. Well, he falls out of bed. In what I can only imagine is just extreme pleasure. I don't know. Exactly. The funny thing is, it, before the scene starts, you see the three of them in bed. Ray is is head down. His, his head is at the foot of the bed. And then that's how he falls out. When he when the scene is done, he falls out head first. Oh, So funny. it's weird. And it's funny because with that captain's coat that he had on, I didn't consciously notice that till I watched it yesterday. 
Yeah, yeah I, I missed was, that. I'm too. watching it again, and I'm going, wait a minute, he's got those those what do they call them on yeah. his shoulders? Um, and I'm like, I never noticed that before, but now it all makes sense. Your explanation sums it up perfectly. I completely get it now. That's it. We solved the mystery. They yeah, just, we're, we're done with this movie now, right? Again, that's okay. all there is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all that was the final scene of the movie. The title cards Boston come up. Boston makes and, me and, feel good. Yeah, and then yeah. it's over. And so, it did. <laughs> Columbia, Sony Pictures. That was it. Yep. Yep. Good episode, guys. <laughs> no. So, after the ghost job, we find ourselves. Uh, things start picking up really quickly at this point in the movie. Um, as far as things with Dana and her apartment and Zool and getting to the bottom of what's going on. We're really starting to advance the main plot forward at this point uh, quickly. Um, because they had their fun. We had Ghost Job. We had Larry King. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yep. someone in editing was like, all right, we gotta, let's move things along. Yeah. So, so uh, what's the best way to do that? You get Dana's a fourth person. You get a fourth person. So Winston Zedmore comes on the scene. He's he's replying to a one ad. There's no Eddie Murphy. And uh, yeah, that was supposed uh, to be. Listen, uh, okay, but Joseph, if Eddie Murphy <laughs> Eddie Murphy chews scenery like uh, a newborn baby with a pacifier, man, like <laughs> I feel like he would have taken too much shine away from the other guys. Yeah. Well, well originally the, role the movie was, was written with him larger. having a much bigger part. Right. That's true. They scaled that back, and yeah, and now it was because I've, I've met... Eddie Murphy was making uh, Beverly Hills Cop at the time. Right. That's true. Now I, I have had the pleasure of meeting Ernie Hudson, um, which was an amazing moment for me. That was facilitated by my wife. That's because great. we uh, she took me to this convention. I think it was my birthday one year. We get in line and turn the corner, and there's Ernie Hudson. But it's Ernie Hudson, and he's wearing the flight suit. Oh, man. <laughs> so, like, the kid in me was like, oh, my God, that's a real Ghostbuster. Nice. And he was the sweetest man. You know, took his time with everybody. Got pictures with him and my daughter and, and my wife and stuff. Signed my, you know, my poster and my shit. And I felt so bad because the Ghostbusters poster, he's not even on it. It's, yeah, it's the other well, three he, guys. He's not involved in the ghost job, so he's like post credits, anyways. <laughs> he's post ghost job. Yeah, that's true. But he's not a. So I, he's I'm like, handing this man a poster. Last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm handing him a poster to sign that he's not even on, and I was so aware of it, and I, to the extent that I said, like, man, I feel shitty having you sign this. They didn't. Even, yeah. They didn't even put his name on it. I mean, it what was you should have said. You should have said, if someone asks you to be on a poster, you say yes. You say yes. <laughs> but he was so cool about it. He said, you know, for years and years and years, this kind of stuff bothered me because I was supposed to have a bigger role in the movie. And I was supposed to, you know, the original yeah. script, I had so much more dialogue and so much more to do. And they just reduced it, reduced it, reduced it. Um, you know, he, he he's made his peace with it. But as a young actor, that was such a huge opportunity, and they kind of pulled the rug out from under that guy. Um, but, yeah, anyway, just a very sweet man, very accommodating, and I will I'll always treasure that moment, man, because, uh, you know, I feel like I'll never meet Bill Murray. That's, that's like, 
you know, what are the odds yeah. of that happening? Unless there's a zombie outbreak and you just stumble into his house and you think he's a zombie and kill him by accident. That's true. We need a maybe a future episode will be zombie. That's a, that's a good idea. Um, but anyway, I digress. So Winston's on the scene now. He's he's being he's given the kind of training that I've gotten on the job, which is just like some disgruntled guy showing you something yeah. really dangerous, but doing it in a way that like you're not going to remember what he did or what sequence he did it in, and. Uh, yep. You have your fourth Ghostbuster. Now, yep. what's great about his character is he's the everyman. He's not invested in this stuff. He doesn't even necessarily buy into it. He's not a scientist. I wasn't even here when they. When they yeah. yeah, he's not a doctor. He's not a. He's he's just a blue collar dude who wants to earn a paycheck, and you know. What is the line that he gives Janine when she's interviewing him? He's like, look, uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Yep. <laughs> this job is not worth eleven five a year. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. That is. <laughs> so around this, this point so in the film, the next scene- we're now getting it. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Oh, I was going to say, um, you're outside the Lincoln Center, and uh, Dana walks out talking to the violin guy, and uh, Vankman comes up in there hopping around on one foot like he's some kind of a, what did you call him again, player? He's a player. He's, a pl- player. he's pulling a Charlie uh, Chaplin move now. <laughs> which, ironically enough, the other two of them are players of instruments, and uh, he's just <laughs> jumping around like go. a dumbass. Yep. <laughs> but... Uh, he goes up to her and, and somehow manages to set up a date <laughs> with her. Yeah, um, yeah Dana is really warming Zoom. up to him at this point. Oh yeah, he yeah. cracks he cracks her shell. There's no well, question. Well, once Casey it. Kasem's on the uh, you know radio talking about him, she's listening to she that. She did laugh. Yeah, you she's can like, see is that what it is. I think so. Yeah. Ah, Dana. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I think you. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. He does crack the shell. He's, you know, I guess he wears her down to the point where what she once found creepy, she now finds charming. And I, but I think, point. I think what what we were talking about earlier in the apartment is starting to happen on his side too at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. because he he drops his his player guard, so to speak, and starts acting like himself. He's goofy and nutty. But it's it's more attractive now because it's sincere, you know. I can agree with. I like that. Yeah, that that yeah. tracks with me. So at this point in the movie, um, things are going swimmingly well with those two. Um, pretty soon we're going to get introduced to an antagonist, which is uh, Walter Peck, the dickless. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, who's a representative of the EPA. Now, from a certain perspective, Walter Peck is not really wrong about anything. Yeah, for real. Nope. But he's a, dick, he's a dick about it while being a dickless. Yeah, yeah. he's just, he's yeah. the perfect yeah. smarmy, like, you know. Well, yeah. and I have to give a nod to William Atherton because the man has made a career playing that character better than anybody. Okay? Yeah. Oh, like I mean, people would like it. confront him in like real life too. Like. Yeah, exactly. He got crap after the movie, but he was not even known, really well known. But then he hit it with Die Hard, you know the yep. diehard movies and real genius 
and he just he just excels at playing like you said that smarmy just smug condescending prick and he does it so well so i just needed a to give that man a nod for that because i love him for it oh absolutely his delivery man like yeah yeah when he's in the office with bankman and he says uh what is the magic word she just want to smack him in the face like shut up man. i know no one talk, who, I... why are you talking like that well then when bankman says well please and just the way he says can I please see the containment facility? <laughs> just like through his teeth. It's just, yeah, it's just great. The guy's a genius. It's, love him. But again, not wrong because Egon explains to the guys that containment unit is just getting too full. Um, he's, he's based on his readings. The paranormal activity in New York City is increasing to the extent that he compares it to uh, an expanding Twinkie. So if the regular amount of psychokinetic energy in New York is a regular Twinkie, the amount right now is a Twinkie that's 35 feet long and weighing 600 pounds. So that's they're, a big Twinkie. That's yeah, a big Twinkie. <laughs> so they're, they're literally and figuratively biting off more than they can chew at this point. And, you know, I think, uh, I think they all know it. And the fact that Walter Peck knows it is sort of coincidence... But yes. he's not wrong. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. But when I watch this movie, I'm like, you know, he has a good point. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, he sucks, but he does have a point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they're always covered in all this slime and shit. Like you don't know what is that. That's very <laughs> caustic. Oh, it's awful. what's happening? <laughs> what's happening to the? What's happening to the water in in the firehouse? Where's that exactly. going? Uh, that's funny. Anyway, uh, as we move along, we are, like I said, the plot with the uh, Dana's apartment stuff is is rolling forward now. So now we're seeing these statues on top of Dana's building, kind of a callback to the opening of the film with the lion statues in front of the New York Public Library. These are kind of like, uh, call them terror dogs in the yeah. in the uh, vernacular of this film and it starts to crack and break apart and and claws come out and and eyes are revealed and these things are coming to life which again yep. special effects on these things still Pretty decent yeah except like, oh, when they're absolutely. running they're, when they run they doesn't look very good <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, yeah yeah that, if the they're standing motion, still oh them things are fucking great <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have like you have like the one one like giant animatronic that just sits there and yeah, like its head moves or whatever. There's probably like a guy in there, you know. What I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. like Jim <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, once you get into that stop yeah, motion stop territory, motion. I mean, you know, come on, look yeah. at look at it came out around the same time as RoboCop, and for as good as RoboCop is, when you watch the stop motion, it's really bad. <laughs> that's true. It is pretty bad. So, uh, Dana, in her apartment, at this point, things are popping off. You start to see... Uh, this is really hard horror for me. Like, this is... Oh, this... Yep. Whereas everything else was comedy horror, this yeah. sequence here was legit scary for me. I have it underlined and circled, legit scary. That's exactly what I wrote. <laughs> in one of today, the hands, like, it is. pops a feel. And yes. Literally oh, exposes yeah. her chest. 
I know. <laughs> that guy know. And, knew and, what he was doing. Yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> he couldn't oh, yeah. see anything, but I guess he did know what he was doing. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm stuck in this couch. This is take 27. I got this. That reminds right. me of the episode of, of Always Sunny where uh, Frank was in the couch. Maybe that was him. <laughs> oh, oh, now that's legit scary. <laughs> that yeah. is legit scary. That's you see, I'm hiding in the couch. That way I can hear all the people talking crap about me at the party. Oh, God. I got to revisit that show, man. It's so good. Yep, that's, so my, Dana, that's my pure five of five show. I know, I know. See, I, I anyway. Yeah, I gotta go lot. back and watch. I, I missed too many episodes, so I, I saw that one, but I missed the other one that you mentioned to me before. I gotta, I gotta really just get my always sunny ducks in a row. It's so good. But Dana goes back to her apartment, and she's just overtaken by spooky shit. There's no, no. other way to put it. There's lights. There's like, you know, Freddy Krueger style stuff coming through her door and stretching the the wood there's hands coming through a chair and grabbing her and it it is nightmarish and what happens from this point forward is the possession um those terror dogs at least in the mythology of the film possess the hosts in order to bring about the end of days it's a whole Mm -hmm. sequence of things so she becomes possessed and just in time for her date with uh venkman now lewis is down the hall the second terror dog from the roof is after lewis so let's let's talk a little bit about lewis's party that's so great yeah. Lewis is having a party for his clients, not his friends, so he could write it off. Yep. And most of the dialogue in that scene was improvised by Rick Moranis, where he's talking about the uh, the headache medication, like buying the generic, and the salmon from Nova Scotia, and <laughs> the brie needs to be room temperature. Like, yes, he's just a mile a minute with the with the improv and i'm so i have to say this this episode is being released about a week after rick moranis was attacked i know yeah crazy unprovoked yeah unprovoked walking down the street in new york and the response to that was like nothing i've ever seen like this man is so beloved people were so up in arms like who did this now imagine if like a dog was chasing him through the streets of New York City. Oh god, <laughs> that'd be great. Well, speaking uh, I mean, of, yeah, oh, go ahead. well wishes, but at the same time, if it was a dog, ah, oh, yes, I so wouldn't be quickly mad at about a dog. that. I know. Well, you exactly. don't carry a milk bone in your pocket. <laughs> so about that scene when I mentioned that Casey Kasem's wife Jean is in it, she's the blonde that he dances with. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. All right, but. That's hysterical because she's, all right, that's it. I'm leaving. He goes, come on, let's dance. Maybe everybody else will join in. And she just goes, okay, and just starts yeah. dancing. <laughs> you know? Now, at the end and of, of this course, scene. The line, who, okay, who brought the dog? <laughs> who brought the dog? So the second terror dog bursts <laughs> through Lewis's apartment, chases him out of the building into Tavern on the Green, uh, which yep. doesn't exist anymore. Nope. And 
Lewis becomes possessed by the uh, by the terror dog. Yep, and that's a great little trick they do because he's leaning against the glass. Everybody looks at him, but then they look away because nobody cares. He leans against the glass as the dog approaches, but no one sees the dog because it possesses him. It disappears. Yep. Yep. And, and in, my, uh, to... in my research, what? I realized Tavern on the Green is actually across the street from 55 Central yeah, Park West. it is. It is. I've eaten there. I ate there before it closed. <laughs> Just saying. How was it? It, it, it? The food was okay. It's the most gaudy restaurant you will probably ever go into if, if you could still go into it. It's just... Yeah. It, it was everything you would think as far as gaudy, you know, pretentious, rich, like, you know. <laughs> they, but it was almost like in, um, a spoof on itself, you know. It didn't take itself as seriously as the people who ate there did, yeah. I think is what the bottom line was. But the food was good. <laughs> in uh, in Futurama, they did a spoof on it calling it Cavern on the Green. And it was <laughs> Elzar's restaurant where it was in the bottom of a cavern with these stalactite formations growing out of the ground. Oh, that's great. And it's... It's the episode where Fry time travels to the future, um, and he's supposed to meet Leela there, so she ends up shooting a message into the ceiling that they drips down and creates these formations on the ground that he sees, you know, millions of years in the future. Okay. Yep. Mm. <laughs> this is another show I need to jump into is Futurama. Amazing show. It's, yeah, a, it's I, up there I with started my five, five-star shows also. Yeah, I started it thanks to Joe. I'm about a season and a half in, so I still got a ways to go. But it is pretty cool. Oh yeah, if I if I jump in, it'll be thanks to Joe because you know <laughs> I've seen a few episodes here and there, but you know, it's my yeah. favorite animated show. Huh? That's that's pretty strong. Okay. Yeah. All right. So back to business. Uh, Venkman shows up at Dana's apartment for their their date slash uh, investigation, but really date. And she is possessed by Zul, the gatekeeper, who was the dog that was in her refrigerator. Um, this is an interesting turn for me, for Peter Venkman. Because as Peter works his way into the apartment and sort of figures out what's going on, um, she straight up tries to seduce him. Oh, yeah. And he says no. Which mm-hmm. seems completely out of character, but he almost seems aware of it in the scene. Like I can't believe I'm saying this, but no. Oh, definitely, he, he's yeah. aware of it. But he's like, he "There's has already too many her. people inside you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Now that line is another one that I was like, "Oh man, I can't believe my parents let me watch this when I was like four. <laughs> yeah. It's like I want you inside me. Yeah. Do you like, want Whoa. this body? Is this a trick question?" <laughs> <laughs> So she's full on possessed. They do a cool, uh, you know, sort of exorcist floating thing. And this is the scene I mentioned earlier in the episode that has been met with a lot of uh, criticism or debate. Um, in order to calm her down, when he's on the phone with Egon explaining what's going on, he says that he was able to get her to go to sleep by injecting her with a certain amount of Thorazine. Yeah. Yeah. And the debate is, well, yes, he's a doctor, but he's not a medical doctor. Why well, did he have Thorazine and why did he bring it on a date? Yeah. Right. So it's weird because she was willing to give it to him and he didn't want it, but he brought that with him in case he couldn't. I don't I don't it's All right, well, I I, I do much. I I I have to put on my old man hat and and say that 
everybody's reading way too much into that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a movie. It's a comedy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, you just, just got to go take a step back and relax a little bit. Okay. <laughs> he's probably still good from the ghost job. <laughs> oh yeah, this I, I, from the ghost. They all got ghost jobs. You didn't get to see all of them, but yeah, rest assured, exactly. everybody got a ghost job. Yeah, I mean, it was a. This is one of those things in the script that's born of convenience, like you know. Yes. Yeah. Just like oh, okay, well, Thorazine, but if you if you do read a lot into it, it's 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 fun. I mean, to pick things apart like that, and but given how creepy his character was for the majority of the film, it's not outlandish to think that this is a guy that was a little like Cosby-ish. Yeah. You right. know, at least at some point before if he if he has like a character change, if he has a moral turn at some point, which this would be a good place for it, like to see this woman who's possessed and he decides not to take advantage of the situation and to really help her. Um you know, for, and, uh, for her, like, her voice pure reasons changes. and altruistic reasons. Yeah, when when she changes her voice to the I'm so voice, that's actually Ivan Reitman. Yeah. Yes, it is. He does the voice of oh, Slimer that? and of Zool. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I knew he was Slimer. I didn't know he did that, the Zool voice. Yeah, he did that when Dana says there is no Dana, only Zool. That's him. And the voice change, nice. yeah, it's him. But yeah, I think I think that's why it's fun to blow that apart. Like this creepy MF was carrying a syringe full of Thorazine in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is weird. It's definitely weird. And now one of my favorite scenes <laughs> is this uh, Lewis in the yes. horse. In the horse. Oh, the horse scene. Yeah. The horse. <laughs> hey, pal. The horse pulls the carriage. I make the deals. Talk to yeah. me. <laughs> So Lewis yep. also now possessed by the other terror dog, who's named uh, Vince uh, Clortho. Yes, is the key master. He's looking for the gatekeeper. He's not aware yet that it's uh, that it's Dana. So naturally, he finds a horse uh, <laughs> right here in Central Park, and and yeah, that's a great scene, man. That's just a yeah. testament to how great Rick Moranis is in this movie. Yes. Yes, yep. he's just running around like a wild man, and I don't. I couldn't see anybody else in this role. I'm just glad he didn't like you know feed the horse um, you know a bunch of junk food, and then the horse <laughs> fell over and died, and he's in prison. <laughs> I love butternuts, buttercup. <laughs> uh, so uh, that I've had, I've had two. Hazy double IPAs, and now uh, half baked and Ghostbusters are melding together in my mind. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, now we we have the the situation with the horse leads to Lewis being arrested by the NYPD. The NYPD brings Lewis to the Ghostbusters because they don't know what to do with this guy. Like he's just yeah. spouting off nonsense. It, but so it's so great because you can tell that the cop has been there a hundred times. Yeah, and yeah. that Janine has accepted someone a hundred times. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just so, you know, just so flat. <laughs> Dropping off or picking up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does read that way. Like, basically, like, oh, you know, we get another it's one. It's like, all right, here's another one. Yep. 
So Egon's at the at the firehouse. They take uh, Lewis in to do some tests, and it's cool the way they they shot this, especially back then. But when they hook Lewis up to that same device that they hooked Dana up to to see if she was telling the truth, yeah. and her readout is being displayed on like a, a monitor behind her. In this scene, the monitor showing the terror dog behind Lewis, but as he's moving his yeah. head, the terror dog is moving the head. So it, mm-hmm. it's very seamless and very well done. Yes, it was. And it's at this yeah. And at this point Egon knows like, okay, this guy's not this guy. Like there's something well, else going on here. <laughs> even just taking a step back when when they do take him from the from the cops and Janine goes, Oh, you're such a humanitarian and he goes <laughs> and he says, I don't think he's human. <laughs> Just deadpan. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's human. <laughs> yeah. And they walk into the firehouse. So, yep, he's definitely convinced now. I have in my notes one of my favorite lines from this scene, which is uh, in response to "Do you want some coffee?" Lewis asks, <laughs> "Do I?" And Hegan says, "Yes, have some." And he says, "Yes, have yes, some, have some." Yep. His speech in that scene when he talks about what's to come or what what oh has happened and what will happen. <laughs> I tried to find out how many takes that might have taken to film because it's just a genius, like, it's almost a soliloquy. And yeah. he just nails it. And there's so many nonsense words in it. There's so many words <laughs> yeah. describing creatures that don't exist. But and, and who knows? He could have made it up on the spot. But it was flawless. And I was so impressed. Yeah. Again, Rick Moranis. You look at him, you go, the guy's a genius. Just, and that, that whole speech just took, me, took my breath away. It was great. Because he's so enthusiastic about it, like he's so yes. excited about, like uh, yeah, you know, he's whatever, still, whatever he's the hell he's Lewis. saying, like a slore. I know, yeah, <laughs> but he, you know, he's still Lewis as he's saying it, and that's the best part of it. He's still a nerd, this little geek, and he's yep. saying these words about the destruction of all mankind. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So in our our next scene, this is actually supposed to be the scene where Rain and Winston are driving back from that fort that was cut out of the, uh, the movie. Ah, okay. okay. Alright. But it shows them driving over... Um, what bridge is that, Doug? What do you think? Um, you know what? I tried to pinpoint it. It was hard because it was at night. Um, it, I think it might... It wasn't. It might have been the Manhattan Bridge, but I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Okay. Was it the Hudson or the East River? Well, it, because they're downtown... It was one of the southern bridges, so it was most likely either the Brooklyn or the Manhattan Bridge. Um, one of those two, because that would be the closest bridge from Brooklyn to where the firehouse is. Okay. So I, I, I would assume it was one of those two. It was kind of hard because, again, the, the skyline was hard to see because it was dark. So Yeah. Okay. Well, in this, in this scene, we get our first, like, theological discussion in Ghostbusters, yes. which uh, in this universe, it kind of feels like if you have experienced the afterlife, you would accept much more. But Ray seems to be an out-and-out atheist when asked about his beliefs in, in God by Winston, right. um, which is interesting. But he knew a Bible verse, and Winston's conversation scared him. You could tell he got nervous. Yeah, yeah, but, from, but yeah. Jules also knew a Bible verse, and it was just some bad shit to say before you <laughs> shot a motherfucker. <laughs> Good point. Thank you. <laughs> you deserve a you deserve a round of applause for that one. Yeah, that was listen, I know some Bible verses too, but I don't believe in any of that stuff. Uh, 
but yeah, they have a they have a sort of theological discussion, and, and Winston poses to him, you know, you're treating all this stuff like mythology, but what if the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead are rising, like it says in, right. in Revelations, and, and Ray right. kind of gives him this look like, oh shit, okay, didn't yeah, think about that. And he says, you know, how about a little music? He turns on the radio, and I forget the song, but it was not at all soothing. <laughs> I was like, it was the typical 80s song. Yeah, yeah. exactly, but it was not soothing. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, when they just search the tracks, it just says stereotypical 80s music. Yes, Why don't we listen to true. this ominous 80s song while we Oh, guess who's back? Oh, Walter Peck. Shows yes. up at the firehouse with the paperwork he needs to fuck shit up. Yep. He also brings the police and a hapless con ed employee. <laughs> Who I genuinely Yo. feel bad for. He, he was clueless. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they roll up and Janine tries to stop him, has no luck, and they want to shut everything down. Now, apparently this setup is such that if you turn the power off yeah. it will explode i hope it's like a blackout that never happens in new york city right <laughs> yeah. no no not at all <laughs> that was my first oh, i got thought. stories about that but we'll that's for another day oh no <laughs> yeah we've had yeah I, I imagine there have been some some power outages in new york yeah i have been i've been stuck in manhattan overnight because of a power outage so Oof. anyway that's like anyway, i said that's a yeah yeah this uh this seems like a egregious design flaw yeah. Like, yeah. Well, th- this goes back to your your point about Peck not being wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're worried about this being shut down, and you got Egon, you know, bl- just making that explosion hand sign to to uh, to Peter. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cutting cutting the power to their containment grid. Basically, in the movie, the way that their whole system is set up is that in their basement they have like a storage locker full of souls. For yep, behind the wall. Yeah, yeah, behind the wall. And they just filled it to the point where it's ready to burst. And if you cut the power off to it, it literally explodes. And all the ghosts fly out into the air. And, uh, yeah, it just seems like a little uh, sketchy. Yeah, definitely. And as the building's exploding, you'll notice across the street there's a... <laughs> um, uh, picked a mural of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Yes, there yes. is. There is, yes. Now, I I kind of forgot about that, and like I said, I watched this one with my wife, and she pointed it out to me, like, oh, isn't that Stay Puffed? Oh my god, yes, it is. Yeah. That's the second Stay Puffed cameo in the movie before yes. Stay yep. Puffed. Yep. So, Walter Peck forces this poor Con Ed guy to shut the power down, despite the warnings from Egon and, and Peter Vankman. Um, the place explodes and smokes and they all run out. Lewis gets away. Because, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was a prisoner of the Ghostbusters. Right. At this point. Yes. Um, and this explosion of, of spirits awakens Dana from her uh, drug-induced slumber. Yep. So... Obviously, this was a, a big to-do. The Ghostbusters, they're arrested, you know, because of this explosion. And they're hauled off to prison. Well, that's where we see Ron Jeremy. Um, we can't forget that. <laughs> the crowd scene. 
Oh yeah, that's Ron where Ron Jeremy standing on the, the best side. He's used to having explosions. Yes. Exactly. Mm. He actually makes it. He's like, you call that jobs. a big explosion? <laughs> yeah. Does he really? Yeah, he's. Joe, I was taking a sip of a double IPA when you said <laughs> when you said uh, he's used to explosions, and I don't appreciate that. <laughs> he's like, Not one you bit. call that explosion big? <laughs> oh, God! Wouldn't that have been great if they gave him that line, like they cut yes. to a tight shot around Jeremy, like that's oh, I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a disgusting person. Oh God. That's a straight-up troll. Um, <clears throat> so, the ghosts are free. Montage. They're flying 80s-style laser through the sky. Yeah. And, bum, bum, and bum, that sequence, too. Oh, go ahead, Joe. To sing the song again. The bum, bum, ba, da, dum, oh, bum, bum, okay. Bum. I mean, Ray Parker paid for it to use that song. So he it. <laughs> paid a hefty amount. All of, that, all of that cool like light effect stuff that's all hand-painted onto yes. the film. Yes. And it... it I mean, maybe I'm biased, you know, but to me at least it still holds up. Like it looks. Oh, it does. It okay. absolutely does. No, there's All no right. question. Well, I feel justified. <laughs> so the ghosts are free. You got zombie cab drivers. You got crazy spindly arm, you know, things flying out of subways. Slimer's back out. He's eating hot dogs crazy. Uh, and most importantly, Lewis, in all the chaos, is able to make his way back to Dana. So yeah. the keymaster is able to unite with the gatekeeper. And it's funny how the door actually opens for him this time. That's true. Yeah. He stands in front of it and the door just blows open after he's been locked out three separate times ahead of that. Yeah, and just just as a point of reference, Lewis's walks about five and a half miles. <laughs> <laughs> no. So that's yeah, true. It's about yeah. five and a half miles. So that that would that would take, you know, three, four hours at least. <laughs> just so you know. But sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was just Maybe he's on a train. <laughs> yeah. He hopped on the subway. Okay. Yeah. Now they they kiss, uh, Dana and uh Louis in this scene. Oh, it yeah. is one of my favorite on screen kisses because they switch gender roles. Yep. Yes. Well, she's yeah. like a foot taller than him. Yeah, it's just <laughs> so funny. I, I love it so much, man. And they definitely, like, make love, the two of them. They don't show it, but yeah. when they cut back to them, they're super disheveled. We did skip an entire scene, though, before this. Oh, did we? The jail we'll scene. No, that's after. That's after, yeah. I thought that was before that. No, that's after. Yeah, right after that's, that. That's the next scene, yeah. Yeah, because they have they have the blueprints of uh, the building. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was, was thinking they were flipped. I thought like she blew out the wall of her apartment and looks out at the streets as it's all going down. Then there it shows them in jail. Then it shows him showing up at the apartment. You could be right. Like I said, this is the second double IPA, so things <laughs> are getting a little squirrely. Um, but they are in jail, and they for some reason were allowed to bring several blueprints with them into the jail cell. Uh, well, there weren't blueprints to the jail, in all fairness. <laughs> that's just, that would have been frowned upon. Like, ah, oh, come yeah, on, yeah. guys, you can't have these. Um, so they're they're going over the basically spiritual history of this building that she lives in, and what it is is an antenna for uh, the cult of Gozer. Right. Yeah. This building was built by a guy named Evo Shandor. Where, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Evo Shandor 
which I was fascinated to learn was in the new Ghostbusters trailer, um, because the farmhouse that this story takes place into uh, takes place at is next to Shandor Mines. So read into that what you will, but that that seems fascinating. Yeah, that's true. Didn't think about that, but that makes sense. So what they used to do were rituals on the roof of this building to summon this Sumerian god. And um, it was an attempt to bring about the end of days. Yeah, that's when Ray utters the line, your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it. So now that they have an idea of what's going on, um, they have to convince the mayor that they're the solution for all the weird shit that's going on. And Joe, if you do me a favor, take over for this scene because I feel like you have some you'd have some good (laughs) input here. Alright, so they're in there, well the mayor's in there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Then they come in and they try to just get on him and let him you know, basically everything that could possibly uh you know be happening they want to explain to him but of course the dickless piece of shit walter peck comes in again (laughs) and he tries to like basically um if you've ever watched like a debate where somebody's trying to talk and then someone else just keeps jumping over them um it was similar i've never seen that (laughs) i know it's a really rare thing to happen but it was similar to that um but the timing on the way like um uh, Stance, Stance calls him dickless and then, you know, Vankman jumps in <laughs> and he goes, I can confirm he actually has no dick. Yeah, the, the mayor says, is that true? Yes, I can confirm he has no dick. <laughs> um, and then the bishop comes in and, you know, the mayor kisses the ring and uh, starts talking to him about oh, you know, uh, your eminence. We gotta, we gotta, you know, come come together here and figure out what's going on. Do you think this is something, you know, has to do with the biblical things? And, you know, the bishop's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're, we're not going to own this one. <laughs> like, this yeah. is on someone else. We can't but, officially um, confirm that this is religious. Yeah. So, so the mayor looks at him and goes, "Why should I give you a chance?" He goes, "Because if I don't, you can just put me back in jail if this doesn't work, and then you have no loss. But if you do, you know, you're a hero and saved a bunch yeah. of people's lives. You, so have, you really have saved have the lives of millions of registered voters. <laughs> yeah, registered voters. <laughs> and that's that's right. what gets Lenny's attention." And then the, the bishop looks at him, shakes his head, yep. And the fire marshal shakes his head, yep. Yeah. So they're like, well, and then, get, this, get this guy out of the office. Exactly. But this scene, this is, this is the scene where we get the great line, dogs and cats living together. Oh, yeah. Because that's another one that happens <laughs> Mass in my house hysteria. all the time. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. So Yeah, that's, that's a great, um, it's just the way they throw it to each other. Like it's a three-parter. You know, it goes yep. from, it just it, yeah, it's 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 amazing. This is it a also great scene. has it also has what could be Winston's best line. <laughs> well, I have seen things that would turn you white. <laughs> yeah, that's a good he line. That was best for me, but it's a good line. Oh no, it's definitely a good line. I'm just saying, yeah. one of his lines. Yep. So I, f- I find it great that they finally have the green light to go save the city because Lenny thinks it's going to get him more voters. Yep, yep. That's how it works. Yeah. And then everybody life. loves them as they drive down the street with their giant motorcade. Yes. Oh, yeah. Time to well, run some lights. <laughs> I mean, why have the sirens if you're not going to run some red lights, man? <laughs> that's a great That's a great line and a great scene. And that whole, like, fanfare around the Ghostbusters, that yeah. felt very real because, like, 
growing up in sort of Ghostbuster mania with the cartoons and the toys and the t-shirts and you know all the merch like that was that was relatable like i would have been in that crowd you know what i mean yep yep and during that crowd while they're driving it seems like it's relatively early during the day which kind of yeah the the timing is weird yeah (laughs) yeah it was dark when 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 uh ray and winston are driving back and then it got lighter it definitely did and then it got darker again quick well, they yeah. got back the next day after after the place blew up because they, you know, were coming back while it was blowing up. Which the whole thing, yeah, the continuity there just kind of, yeah, it's just a little off. Now, our, yeah. the next movie that we're gonna do in our next episode, we're gonna talk a little bit about some timing continuity stuff. Oh, there's sure. a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot now. <laughs> yes. So, Seasons change. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yep. the Ghostbusters roll up on Dana's apartment building just heroes just worshipped yep. by the crowd and it's a great scene because as soon as they get there um, there's an earthquake and they get swallowed by the sidewalk <laughs> yep which was a very good special practical special effect by the way it was the way the road buckled and the police car tilted it, it was good it was very good it reminded me of the earthquake ride they used to have at Universal Studios yes yes yeah yeah, yeah. Who knows? It could have been that one. They might, they might have filmed it in there. Who knows? The big one. Yeah. Well, this this whole sequence is another great example of the comedy in this movie because they roll up. It feels heroic. The crowd's oh, yeah, cheering. Top of the world. Yeah, they're on top of the world. They get sucked in, but they crawl out triumphant. The crowd's even more yes. into them. And then they yeah. cut to the very next scene when they're inside, and they're climbing the stairs. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's dark so... when they get to the roof. Because it just took them so fucking long to climb themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And they're just so tired. And there's so many stairs. It's just like yeah. an endless amount of stairs. Tell me when we get to the 20th floor, I'll, I gotta throw up. Yeah. I love <laughs> that, man. Just yeah. that... It's like a a breakneck shift in tone. Like, yes. I love that so much. The plotting music and everything. Yeah. Da-dum, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. So they finally get up to Dana's apartment. Which, you know, has been destroyed. And uh, there's a staircase. And what is the line? I think Ray or someone says, where where do these go? Ray goes, where do these stairs go? They go up. Up? They go up. (laughs) That's pure. They go up. (laughs) So they get to the roof. And when they get there, you have Dana and you have Lewis transforming fully into the terror dogs. Yep. Which is... Again, the special effects, to be fair, I mean, maybe they're a little cheesy at this point, you know, when Mm -hmm. the terror dogs run away and there's stop motion and all that stuff, but still very cool looking, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of Universal Studios, they used to have the Ghostbusters live show too, which was basically this entire next scene. Yes. Oh my God. I love this so much. They used a lot of Pepper's ghost effects to make it like have the cool 3D imagery and everything too. Mm Mm-hmm. Joe, you and I are going to nerd out over this uh, yeah. this ride because uh, that was my favorite thing at Universal Studios with the Pepper's Ghost stuff. And the guy who did the character designs for the ride was the guy who did the character designs for the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> so that that's another movie ghost. we will eventually be doing. Oh, yeah, we need to get to that one. Please. Don't tease me. <laughs> don't you do it 
So, we get to the Universal ride on the rooftop. Yep. And you get your rush cover. You get this portal into another dimension with the glowing pyramid and all the laser lights. And it looks like, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin's going to come out or something. But instead, David Bowie... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get Gozer, uh, who looks. Although it wasn't Gozer David looks Bowie. so. Yeah, Gozer looks like just the yeah. '80s, like in a person. Pretty much, it's pretty oh, yeah. amazing. Now, so originally Gozer that role out. was intended for Paul Rubens. No, are you serious? Yep, he was the person they wanted to cast in that, but he uh, decided not to do it. I don't remember what else he was doing at the exact moment. I don't know if it was Pee Wee Herman or something else, but Paul Rubens was the person who was originally supposed to play that yeah. role of Gozer. No way. Dude, that is amazing. Could you yeah, imagine now, Could a you world? imagine if he came out? Oh my god, that would have been perfect. <laughs> Why don't you guys choose the form of your destructor? <laughs> oh, that would have been great. <laughs> that choose your parish. Which... What's is funny because um, the girl on um, Sla- Slavitsa Joven, I guess is her name, she kept pronouncing it wrong when she said Jews and Parish, and apparently Bill Murray was making fun of her on set and just kept calling it Jews and Berries, and he said there are no <laughs> Jews and Berries here. <laughs> so Gozer, so eighties Bowie Gozer, she she poses a very simple question to the Ghostbuster, this is at large. And uh, that question is, are you a god? <laughs> Go get her, Ray. <laughs> oh, his Ray legal says, writ is hysterical. <laughs> now, this is Ernie Hudson's best line, by the way. Yeah. If someone yeah, asks you right, if you're I god, agree. you say yes. <laughs> say I do yes. agree. Now, I have a uh, funny backstory about that line. I was working a job in Jersey for a couple of years, and we had... I don't remember what it was, like a 401k, like, it was something where you had to call in and give, like, a a verification password. And when I set it up, I thought it it could be anything you wanted. (laughs) And I thought it would be funny if I set it up to have the person ask me if I was a god. And then I would have to respond, yes. (laughs) Yeah. But after so many years, I kind of forgot I did that. So I was on the phone with this lady, and she was like, "Okay, uh, your name's Eric Babo. We're gonna uh, and uh, okay, your security verification uh, is the question is, are you a god? And it really stunned me for a second because I was like, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> That's awesome. It took uh, me like a yes? solid three Mississippi's, and I was like, yes. And she said, uh, okay, all right, and we can move on." My best. She didn't my want to move on. Have, she like, wanted some more details, but <laughs> when you have like a, a password for something, you have to call them, and then like, what was your previous password that you last time you remember? And it's always like, uh, sixty nine hot boy, <laughs> <laughs> something embarrassing. Big booty bitches. And you have to spell yeah. it out. So like trying to like B I um G T I T. And try to like make it not say like what it is. Uh, that's the best. And they try to stay professional on the other end of the line. Like, <clears throat> yes, that's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's big. T- it 
eyes? Sixty-nine. 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 Yep. Thorazine. Sixty-nine. So, Vink Man. Vink Man. So goes her. Blast them, mother! They're not gods. They're 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 ants under her boot. So she zaps them with her '80s lightning, and the Ghostbusters decide to fight back. Um, but it doesn't really seem this this Gozer has the ability to teleport out of the way. Right. So it's it's a little unclear what happens. Did they defeat Gozer, or did Gozer just disappear? But all of a sudden, this this booming voice comes out of a cloud, instructing them to choose the form of their destruction. And they all like argue, "Don't think about anything. Just don't think about anything." Right. Right. There is a great throwaway line when they fire the proton packs, though. <laughs> I forget who does it. It might be Peter, but someone yells, "Aim for the flat top." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was Peter. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they fire. It's just a throwaway line, but it's so damn funny. It is. So they try to clear their minds because they figure if we don't think of anything, then nothing will happen. But all of a sudden, you hear footsteps and you see this big ominous figure emerge. And they're looking around like, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't think of anything. Did you think of anything? No. They all look at Ray. who has sorry, guys. Yeah, a guilty look on his face. And you get the, you know, what did you do, Ray? (laughs) <laughs> and he tries to justify. He's like, "I'm sorry. I just I tried to think of the most harmless thing, something that could never ever possibly hurt us." And you get this fantastic shot of this goofy giant, like Michelin tire man looking character, <laughs> the Stay Puft yep. Marshmallow Man, uh, the size of Godzilla. You know. Yeah. And originally they wanted him to come out of the the. Uh, uh, the Hudson next to the Statue of Liberty, oh, but it was too so it, it, it was too, too expensive and too complicated to do, so they scrapped it. Yeah, yeah. And they had three of the suits that cost twenty thousand dollars each, <laughs> and they all three got destroyed during the making. Whoa, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so Ray, you know, tries to, you know, you get that line. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and. <laughs> tries to explain why he do you know uh i tried to think of something that could never hurt us and and oh, Ray's lost his marbles and Ray's not here <laughs> yeah he's yeah. gone bye-bye that's right Ray's and, bye-bye. and yeah stay puffed is just got this goofy grin like it's just the greatest like oh the facial expressions monster. of stay puffed yes. yeah he's just he's just like this big dumb happy character it's so funny yeah. and makes his way to the to the Shandor building and right before he gets there steps on a church <clears throat> to which Peter says nobody steps on a church in my town <laughs> yes. so they zap this thing and it's a marshmallow so <laughs> it's, it's, on just, fire. it's just on fire it's just a giant roasted marshmallow <laughs> and the, starts the, climbing the building yeah the facial expression changes to angry yeah. Is, oh yes, <laughs> which is very scary, believe it oh, or yeah. not, to see this happy, you know, cartoon character get mad. Um, so he's he's, you know, the flames are shooting up the side of the building. 
they're looking at each other like this is it man like <laughs> this is how we're going out until they get this radical idea from Egon yeah. you know we could try to cross the streams which if you go back to the uh, the beginning of the film when they're in the hotel we were warned that would be bad and that question gets brought up like I thought you said <laughs> that would be bad I said well there's like a small percentage of a chance that uh, we could reverse the protonic stream or, or how, whatever scientific jargon they use and um, you know basically reverse the door shut it on this on this goes or reverse the polarity yeah so yeah. they cross the streams and lo and behold it works giant explosion stay puff explodes melts away yeah yeah i love watching the face like melt away in the background yes yeah yeah that's a cool effect that was very like raiders of the lost Ark. <laughs> Yes, yeah. it was. It was. <laughs> How they don't all die in the explosion, though, is like, beyond me. Because they're standing they right in front of it, because they're shooting it. It's not like, you know, they're hiding while it explodes. They're shooting it, then it explodes. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like a massive explosion. They're all fine. And Stay Puft gets blown backwards, so how did they all on the rooftop get covered in marshmallow? Yeah, that's true. Well, no, well, not, not all, all of them. them. That's, yeah. This is what I for love. whatever reason, Peter didn't get covered. <laughs> Well, it's because he has to have a kiss, and you can't be covered in goop. Well, exactly, a that had to be part of it. And I'm wondering if it was also him just saying, "I don't want to be covered in shaving cream." I yeah, think that's, that's what, what they was. used. I think it was. Oh, Bill but Murray you know who does like, get covered in? You know who gets covered in shaving cream? <laughs> yes. Oh, Mr. Poor, Mr. Dickless poor Peck. Dickless. Yep, he does. That looked dangerous to me. Like that looked like something I you know. would want to do. That <laughs> was a lot of stuff. That was the wrong Jeremy Ghost job. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping loads. Oh, yeah. that was a collective ghost job. Imagine if that was like the Stay Puft ghost job. Oh, oh. the Stay Puft ghost job. So sticky. Uh, right on back. Hey, <laughs> sweet. Oof. So, yes, they, they saved the day. They saved the city. They saved the world. They defeat Gozer and the Destructor. And basically, uh, all is well, except for they see, uh, you know, the the terror dogs are burned to a crisp. And What's as that you know, smell? yeah, smells like barbecued dog hair. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry, Peter. <laughs> now, you see Peter genuinely upset, which I said, you know, yes. this is a major turn for his character. Like, he really cared about this woman. And lo and behold her and lewis are fine yep uh under all the charred crispy dog stuff and you get your happy ending uh peter gets the, the girl <laughs> everyone gets a happy ending except for lewis yeah. yeah lewis just wants to go in the car with the guys exactly yeah and, and he that's gets carted off gets carted off and that's ghostbusters that's that's uh that's well, it. We man. do also learn that Slimer's not gone. Ooh, oh yeah, he's true. flying down the street. That, that's what closes the, you know, brings us to to black for credit. Exactly. So Slimer coming towards In the some, screen. So somehow, when Dana comes down, she's wearing a different shirt and has marshmallow stuff all on her hair, even though she was inside yeah, of the dolls and the marshmallow. Blew. Right. It's it exactly. 
Exactly. And then she Peter has the most has awkward kiss possible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, she Rick wanted to kiss music. Rick Moranis, but she did not want to kiss <clears throat> Bill Murray. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep. Uh, For me, so... Bill Murray's hairline was, was the star of this movie. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, Ghostbusters in a bum, nutshell. And when um Ray Parker Jr.'s name comes on string screen, it's right when it says bust and it makes me feel good. Coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think not. It's like bust and it makes me feel good. Music by Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. Like that's so awesome. All right, guys, so... That was Ghostbusters. That was Ghostbusters. Let's go through our ratings for Ghostbusters. Let's start with you, Joe. Just to refresh people on how our ratings work, we go on a scale of 0 to 5, with 0 being something you would actually refer to your worst enemy, but not to anyone else you care about. (laughs) Uh, 1 being, ah, fuck it, this movie sucked. I don't even want to deal with the stupid shit anymore. 2 being, eh, it was a movie. Three is more like it was. It was okay. I mean, I can watch it. It don't really affect me. Four being, it was a pretty damn good movie. Huh? I think I'll probably watch that again or recommend it to somebody. And then five being your best movie ever. Um, and then you can, you know, decimal point it wherever you want in there. All right. Well, Joe, right, so you're up first, man. I'm first. I'm gonna give this. I'll give it a 4.4. Just because I thought it was a great movie, but it's not going to break my top movies. <clears throat> That's a respectable rating. Uh, I'm going in... Now, our, our last episode, we did Goodfellas. I gave Goodfellas a 4.5. Because that's pretty close. I think close. I did also. Yeah, it's pretty close to a masterpiece. I don't know if I could give any movie a five. Um, I got one. I think I'm going to eventually. Yeah, I'll save that. I mean, a five is is tough. A five is you could find no fault in it at all. I could definitely find fault in Ghostbusters, and I'm trying to look at it objectively. I mean, it means a lot to me, um, you know, as a as a fan and from childhood. So with that in mind, I would give Ghostbusters. I think the same rating as you, like a 4.4, because I think as a film, if I'm being fair, it's it's not a Goodfellas, you know, it definitely has um, some some issues, but as far as like pacing and comedy and being groundbreaking and all that stuff, I mean, it it scores major points. So yeah, I'm at a 4.4. I think it what. It's awesome. The improvisation is awesome, but it could have, you know, been better if they would have stayed a little bit to somewhat of a script. If that makes sense. Ah, I don't know. I think their their skill at ad lib and improvisation made it work. I, I think but, it was. That's why I gave it the four point four. But I mean, yeah. I think like if there was more structure, it could have possibly. But then again, I don't know. It's, I'm not, not. It's not my job to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about you, Doug? All right. So the way I'm looking at this rating system for me on a personal level is, I mean, I, I gave Goodfellas a 4.8 because it's, you know, it's in my top 10 of, or even maybe even top five of 
all-time movies. So again, I, I agree that getting a five is extremely difficult, but I did 4.8 on that one. But I also need to categorize them. I can't, that's apples and oranges trying to look yeah. at Ghostbusters and rate it compared to Goodfellas. So I got to look at it in the, in the comedy genre. And it's definitely in my top 10, but it's not close to my top five as far as comedies go. So, I mean, I'm looking at a 4.2 with this one. There is a lot of sentimentality for me, obviously, because, you know, I, I, was, I saw it in the theaters. But I can't let that sway how I feel about it. I mean, it made me laugh out loud watching it again, but not side-splitting. And maybe that's because I knew the jokes were coming because I've seen it so many times. But, yeah, 4.2 for me on this one. Solid grades. So this is definitely a movie we're going to recommend to people, and we could rewatch it as many times as we want. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I'll watch this. It movie loses over nothing. And over. It loses nothing over time, and that in and of itself deserves a high rating. Great, sweet. So next time on Masters of the Cinematic Universe, we're going to be tackling a horror movie. Oh yeah, it's Halloween. So what better movie to do than Halloween? Yes. The one that started it all. And we're going to actually have a special guest on this episode also. Mr. Tony Rage. Nice. Looking forward to it. I would say his last name, but I can't remember what he changed it to. I know it's not Rodriguez anymore. (laughs) It's a recent development. We're still getting used to it. It was Tony Rodriguez, but he changed it. We're going to get there. We're going to talk to him in the next episode. We're going to get this clear. It's like Minjuet or Minjet or something like that. I know it's something along the lines. I just don't want to, you know, butcher it like I probably just did. You're but in the neighbor. I think you're you in the neighborhood. Do yeah. you guys have anything you want to go ahead and plug while we're here? Sure. I'll uh, once again plug my pedal company, 37FX. Uh, I am the maker of the fat guy little coat fuzz. It's a mini enclosure fuzz that packs a punch. So come visit me on Instagram at 37FX. That's the word 30, the number 7. FX. Awesome, man. Well, I will. Uh, I'll close it out with. Uh, well, I'm the middle guy with my plug. Uh, art of Eric yeah. If you need any custom art, any commissions, any family portraits, any weird ideas that you have, whether it's uh, Christmas cards or a gift for a loved one or comic book pages or whatever strikes your fancy i'm your guy hit me up eric pabone on our art of eric pabone on facebook and instagram nice he does some great artwork and he's about to actually release one for this show which should be pretty fun yeah we're getting we're getting close i can't wait it's so hot and uh i uh also run a pedal company called like my pedals we're you can uh, search me on Facebook.com backslash LikeMyPedals or at LikeMyPedals on Instagram. And I just do a bunch of custom uh, interesting stuff. But you can also find me on my other podcast, Just Surprise Me. It's more of a reckless uh, train wreck going down the highway, which I know that sounds even worse because a train shouldn't be on the highway, but <laughs> if there's a train on the but highway... But in this case, it makes perfect sense. And it's yep. it's something you definitely you can't take your can't avert your eyes that's the yep, best part of it eric or and doug ears. are also regular guests on that show so you you know we have a lot of fun it's more 
you know how this one has somewhat of a structure? That one's like the ghost job of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that is that's an appropriate description. I agree. Yeah. I might change that tagline on the thing. <laughs> 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 uh, well, thank you guys for joining us on another episode, and we will catch you on the next one. All right, be safe, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>